1: Live.
2: Colton Collective podcast. Yes, that's stirring music, folks. Oh, I can see Dave A. C. in his jack
3: walking down the corridor now.
2: Hello, Dave. <laughs>
3: yeah. Hi, everybody. Yes, sir. I can't think of a comeback to that. Uh, I'll go Back to the Future instead.
2: Uh huh. <laughs> well done, well done, sir. All right. Let's see who else is uh, is joining us uh, today. Yes. Sorry. Yeah, I just I wasn't able to do that one. <laughs> All right, joining us on audio, Mr. Darth Skeptical. Hello, sir. Hello, good sir. How are you? Uh, Not too bad. Realizing you're the top of the list, huh? (laughs) Indeed. (laughs) That's so weird. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who don't know, I use the web client and not the pro client, so they never know where they're going to come up on the list.
4: (laughs) Also joining us,
2: he's on on audio, it's Mr. Randall Thor. Hello, Mike.
5: Hello Ian, hello Dave. There are neither beginnings nor endings to the Colton Collective, but this is a beginning.
3: Yep. Uh, but going? I'm afraid I've got some bad news for you, Mike.
5: Uh, Wheel, the of Time,
3: Wheel of Time didn't make this list.
5: Well, it's not a movie series yet. Yeah, but you still would have liked it to have made the list. Yeah.
2: (laughs) We'll see. We'll see.
5: Actually, NBC NBC Universal has the right, so they're actually technically working on a movie for the first book, but, uh,
2: yeah.
6: I don't see how they're going to do all 14 books now.
4: Yeah, that's a whole different question there.
2: (laughs) All right. Going up next on the it's
7: Jeff, the seventh doctor.
4: Hello, Jeff.
7: I've got a bad feeling about this.
2: How you I do that again? every Sunday. <laughs> good, thank you, sir. Good. <laughs> it usually starts off with "Welcome to the Cult and Collective Podcast." <laughs> uh,
4: <laughs>
2: also, joining us on the telephone, his whereabouts unknown, it's Kobo.
6: Hey, how you doing? Not too bad. Ian, today, Dave.
3: Good, thanks glad you could make it. I'm
6: glad I could make it, too.
2: Yay! And And I'm
6: glad I'm feeling better.
1: Yep.
2: So are we. And last but not least, on audio, it's Mr. Cuddly
1: Ken. And good afternoon. And may the first be with you, Ian and Dave. (laughs) It's another thing I think of before I start this show.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Let's see who's lurking under the cone
4: control new agent training program section 3.5 the cone of silence to activate simply lower the cone and speak clearly what do not overuse the cone of silence what do not shout in the cone of silence what in fact don't even use the cone of silence what it's never worked right i don't know why we bought it in the first place the portable cone of silence what
2: all right, it's a smaller than normal cone. We've got a few people lurking under there. Davros 1179 is here. Um, it's a clone by the name of Guest Eight, <clears throat> And Cybob is here. Hello, Cybob. All right, just like one more person to introduce, and that is Typing It's news time. Go, go Typing monkey, monkey, go! Go!
5: Everybody's in. <laughs> All right, first up, it's Mr. Randolph so with news. Yeah, this you know, The BBC has had an interesting reaction to the, the Toy Fair, which recently happened in London. For those who paid attention to news with that, there was a poster that the BBC had which listed all sorts of 50th anniversary plans that the BBC has for Doctor Who, including the, the BFI screenings of the, the original series of uh, stories. But uh, they also listed... Eight episodes for Series 7. Of course, that's all that we have left for Series 7 Part B of Doctor Who coming up this year. And in response to this, the BBC officially confirmed the launch date for Series 7 Part B. So on the 30th of March of this year, uh, Series 7 Part B, the the last eight episodes of that series will, will, will begin. That's so, all the thing.
2: Have we ever had an announcement? Have they ever really announced it that early when it's
5: going to... No. Normally we no, it's, it's really in, re- in response to... the as, as far as everyone can figure out, it's in response to that that poster at the Toy Fair in, in London recently, which listed all of these different plans. Like, eight episodes of the series have listed... The, the one, the the one-off 50th anniversary special, the the story, the doc, the, the documentary drama that that Mark Gaddis is writing, things like that, and the BBC has announced it, and they also posted along with it a what seven-month-old uh, pu- uh, publicity promo, like a, a promo yeah, picture, from back when Jenna was first announced as the companion. It's, it's <clears kind throat> of
2: slightly odd. It's a it's a odd thing to do because like neither of them are in, in, in any kind of you know. Um, outfit, nothing. Yeah. They're just in regular street clothes. It's like,
4: oh, well, okay, sure,
5: we'll buy that. But we have that. We have I, the, we know now when Doctor Who is coming back on air.
4: It does
2: make you wonder, though, because of the way the BBC normally operates when, it's, when it comes to Doctor Who, as far as you know, we, know, we normally know things until, you know, uh, about a month or two before, um, how they're handling this whole 50th anniversary thing. I think it's probably requiring them to be a little more forthcoming with their plans, I'm assuming, because, you know, um, I mean, as we'll talk about a little later, things are kind of spreading out around the world and, and you know, all sorts of countries that are are, are are celebrating the 50th. So it's going to be interesting to see how they react to, you know,
5: actually kind of letting us know what's going on for a change. Yeah. Another interesting bit from that poster that was that the BBC had at the Toy Fair was that there was no mention of Series 8 episodes listed on on that poster so of course what I was led to believe going into this year was that we would have the rest of Series 8 Series 7 rather and possibly at least the first half of Series 8 who knows
2: yeah I mean it's hard to tell I mean it, it, at this point we don't know whether there's going to be a bunch of like mini movie marathon type deals or or what you know again it's they're being secretive about everything and it's making people wonder like well you know and I haven't time.
6: been exactly following the BBC Fallout like I said, So, where do we stand on that? Not to get too far off topic here, but
3: well, in the dark mainly. I think Ian was saying. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're
2: I mean, to me they're a little too tight-lipped for for an anniversary year. It's like you know you really kind of need to be. I think uh, it's like being invited to a party. You know. You need to have an invitation about a month beforehand. I know what presents to get.
7: <laughs> Not too surprisingly, uh, BBC America and Space have both announced that they're going to show uh, the premiere of season seven B on the same date as BBC One.
6: Um, but BBC One still gets it first.
7: August. Well, of course, they're they're ahead of us. But...
6: Which I will be watching on BBC One.
2: All right. Um, actually, I'm going to give the next, next, next news to you, uh, Jeff, since you're the, one who, uh, you're the one responsible for putting in the, uh, the Colton page on, on Facebook about tonight's events. Oh, okay. I wasn't
7: expecting that. But uh, Well, and then David, yes. David and I will follow on behind you, I think. Okay. <laughs> uh, BBC awesome. America has announced that they are going to uh, show specials for each doctor Starting tonight, uh, they're going to do one a month, uh, January through November, for all 11 doctors. And uh, tonight, they are going to, at 9 o'clock Eastern, have a special, 40 minute special for the first doctor. And following that, they're going to have a two hour, 20 minute block for the Aztecs. So we're going to get Classic Who on BBC America this year.
6: I wish they had done an unearthly job. That's my one complaint with that.
7: Well, uh, yeah, I, I see what you're saying there. Um, Unearthly Child was great for the first episode, but mm-hmm. uh, the following three were not so good. So mm-hmm. I, I don't know if that would have been a good choice or
2: not. Uh, who knows? With the special, we may get lots of nice little clips from, from
1: Unearthly I'm sure Child. I'm sure they'll show clips from it and the Daleks, et cetera.
2: Um, and so to follow on from that news, uh, Dave and I uh, met this week to uh, talk about upcoming topics. Um, and if you'll notice on the uh, Colton Facebook page, we've got two polls up there for upcoming topics, um, if you wouldn't mind stopping by there at some point during the week. Uh, we put a list of uh, uh, of, of topics. We narrowed down some of the, the topics that we have down to about 10 of each. Uh, we've got one poll, which is uh, all about TV, TV shows and, and movie type uh, topics. Something that's centered on a particular thing like Red Dwarf or Doctor Who or Star Trek or uh, basically a lot of shows that we haven't really talked about much before. Uh, and to get your input as to what ones you would actually have something to contribute. Um, and the other list is uh, a list of much broader topics like top 10 of this, uh, you know, uh, movie reboots things like that, uh, that we want your input again to, just to know where you guys are at. Uh, so uh, the Colton kind of really kind of turns on the amount of people that show up to talk about a given topic. And so we want to make sure that, you know, we are giving you guys stuff to talk about. So uh, with that in mind, we also decided on what we were doing next week. And well, Dave and I are kind of in two, two groups about this. Dave kind of wants to, to talk about the whole First Doctor um, and the, the specials that's the special that's happening um, and reviewing kind of William Hartnell, and I would like to treat the aztecs if you would like uh like we would uh, a regular Doctor Who episode that we 're seeing for the first time uh, a lot of us haven't uh, some of you out there in uh in the audience land are new series uh people and right now with the BBC doing the uh, with uh, BBC America doing this and of course um other stations around the world, I mean, New Zealand, I'll talk to about them in a minute with um, their, how their schedule's going. We've got an opportunity to really kind of look at at these episodes with a fresh pair of eyes um, all at the same time. So within this week, uh, if you don't have a chance to watch the special tonight, uh, you can actually see it on Netflix if you don't have access to BBC America. But if you do, please do watch it there because you know, here's our chance to show BBC America that we really want to see some more classic. Doctor Who stories broadcast. I don't care if you do it on a Sunday morning. Just you know, put them on. Uh, but you know, we can all get together now and and kind of review the Aztecs. It'd be, uh, I think, an interesting little experiment to to talk about it rather than a retrospective kind of. Oh, I remember this about this episode. You know, we can actually look at it and say, you know, oh, it was great when the Doctor did this, and how funny was this bed, or you know. So that's that's my intention for next week. So it's 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 part. Uh, looking at the first Doctor in part, a review of the Aztecs, which I
3: think would be quite fun. I was going to say, I just had to, that, that's the, fir- the idea is that we start with the first Doctor and go through all the 11 incarnations of the Doctor prior to November um, and the actual 50th anniversary. So uh, I was thinking actually we were going to do one a month, but actually thinking, and because we now know that there are going to be eight weeks when we're going to be discussing a Doctor Who current episode,
4: mm-hmm.
3: we might need to actually do one one of the classic Doctors per three weeks, maybe even. You know, then have a break for eight weeks while we do the new series and so on. But um, well, try it all and get depends through too, them all. too
2: on BBC America's uh, schedule too. We'll have to yeah. kind of have that developed. Another thing I wish they do in advance is like, okay, well, we know you're going to do this with the first Doctor. Are you going to do it with all of them? And you know, what's your schedule? What episodes are we going to look at? It'd be nice to kind of know that in advance so we could tie it all in because it gives you, you know, the people who don't necessarily have access to, to go and rent it or whatever to actually see it, you know, if you've got uh, BBC America. Um, for those of you who don't have BBC America, um, the Aztecs is uh, available for streaming on Netflix. Um, so it could be watched there, and I'm sure there's other places around the Internet where you can see it. So um, if you haven't watched it before or if you haven't seen it in a while, uh, find some time between now and next Sunday to watch The Aztecs and uh,
7: join us for that show so that should be fun. All right. That was a lot of talking.
3: <laughs>
7: <laughs> I wonder which uh, episode we'll they're going to show for the eighth Doctor.
3: Mm. The moving. Mm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. I didn't quite hear the sarcasm. No. Um,
2: more, on, of course, the 50th anniversary in, in, in screening of, uh, of classic Doctor Who. Uh, Paul Schoonz is posted on the Doctor Who news site on uh, the 50th. Anniversary season of classic Doctor Who stories on UK TV in Australia and New Zealand continues with the war machines. Uh, the four-part story is broadcast on Sunday, the 27th of January, which is already gone. Oh, I'm late getting these. Yeah, never. <laughs> so, no, they just got done with the war machines. Um, <laughs> and uh, Monday, the 28th. Uh, let's see. Sorry. Let me read on. Uh New Zealand has another screening for the War Machines on Monday the twenty-eighth at four a.m. So
4: yeah. that's
2: probably going already, isn't it? Let's see. Yeah, I've missed that now. It's it's eight, 8 twenty in the morning, so <laughs> I've missed both of them. Fantastic. <laughs> but anyway, they will continue on in this vein, uh, and that's great. It's like a, I kind of wish we had the opportunity of of, of that, um, and it's kind of surprising. And I've noticed this too. The, the Alan Butcher commented on um, on the Facebook page that. Yep, the BBC aren't doing anything of this ilk, Um so it's kind of odd that, you know, other countries are celebrating it in a in a in a, in a better fashion than uh than uh, BBC are. So anyway. But yes, uh for more news on that and before I can actually get to it, uh uh if you'd uh, follow the uh, Doctor Who news page at uh Doctor Who News dot net. Uh they've got uh articles on it. Uh posted every week so you can uh, tune in to see uh, Doctor Who on in Australia and in New Zealand. Uh, also on their site they've got uh, uh, some short videos uh, relating to the uh, BBC Worldwide uh, release of uh, The Reign of Terror uh, out next Monday. Uh, yes, so they've got some bits about the animation that they did in there. And uh, I found, but also Darth mentioned to me... Um, it sounds like somebody's been looking at my Christmas list. Uh, River Song is to meet Captain Jack, as Alex Kingston is to star uh, guest star on the CW series, The Arrow. Uh, sorry, Arrow, which also stars John Berriman as a guest character. Uh, Beatrice is to play uh, Dinah Lance, the separated wife of Police Sergeant Quentin Lance, and mother of Laurel. So, yes. Uh,
3: Alex Kingston mm-hmm. is Oliver Quiver.
2: or I could say I'm all of a quiver over the the news of the two of them in the same show it probably won't go down the way I've been fantasizing it, I mean I've been thinking uh, I mean I've been, anyway (laughs) digging myself an even further hole, alright one more piece of news for me, I'm not sure if anybody else has any because I've just been talking so much Uh, Another piece of news out of New Zealand, Uh, silver coins for the golden anniversary, also posted by Paul Schoons on the Dr. Who News.net page, and also it's been on Facebook as well. Uh, A legal tender coin and a series of collectible coins are due to be issued to mark the 50th anniversary. New Zealand Mint will launch uh, a one-ounce silver uh, coin, which features an engraved picture of the TARDIS and the 50th anniversary logo. The coin comes packaged in a 3D model replica of the TARDIS, which opens with a TARDIS sound effect. Uh, the coins themselves are a legal tender for $2 in the South Pacific Island nation of Nui. Uh, later, in the New Zele- later on, the New Zealand will also release uh, collectible coins featuring all 11 Doctors. Uh, Further Doctor Who coin releases are also planned for 2014 and 2015. So, yes, you can uh, check those out at NewZealandMint.com. Um, and I do have a, a birthday in July, and just <laughs> let would put that out there. You know, um, email me. I'll give you my address. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm shaky. All right. I think that's all I have for news. Dave, did you have anything? No, you didn't. Just tennis, right? Just tennis?
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah, didn't Darth? Are you going to include Darth later?
2: I think we'll, uh, we'll bring that up very shortly in our up-and-coming topic, since it really kind of folds right into our topic this week. Sound good? good? All right, we shall press on. But before we press on, if you're interested in listening to me rattle on about news at hyperspeed, here's how you can do that.
4: If you enjoy listening, why not join the
6: collective and participate yourself? Or are on TalkShoe, call ID 54821. Call in on 724
3: This is a US number, area code 724, so do check your calling plan before dialing in. If you have a SIP client, you can call in for free on 66.212.134.192.
6: Or you can connect in directly via the shoe phone client if you have TalkShoe Live installed. We're looking forward to hearing you.
2: how you do it alright Dave what's on the slate for today
3: yeah uh, well we're doing um, movie top movie franchises and uh, when Darth comes on in, in a short while uh, there's some news that relates to that that uh, means that um, our brilliant planning paid off for once because oh, um, yeah. it's quite topical
2: we planned this oh, this we planned this topic what months and months like almost three years ago I think it Yeah. Well, three
4: days.
2: (laughs) Actually, uh, to to digress slightly, we actually do have a, a running list of about 30 topics. It's just a matter of which ones will fit in that week or not, and it's just as well that we put this one in, so...
3: Yeah, well, well, we've been talking the last couple of weeks about worst, uh, TV movie, uh, worst movies and worst TV things, so we, we, we wanted to be a bit more upbeat and talk about the top movie franchises. But um, uh, we'll be going to Mike first, and uh, obviously people may want to just talk about their particular uh, franchises that they prefer, but we do have these top ten lists. However, it's not quite as clear-cut as I thought, because... Um, In fact, one of the links that I put in the room, um, which is um, AmericanLiveWire.com, top 10 movie franchises of all time. Um, Oh, in fact, no, it's not that one. It's the one with a great long title, uh, TheAtlantic.com Business. Um, It's not quite as simple. And um, uh, it has the biggest movie franchises of all time in two charts. So um, this is the reason that I'm not going to try and do them in very specific order because it has the highest real grossing movies franchise in one list and I'll quickly say the order. In that order, it goes from the top down, uh, James Bond, then Star Wars, Harry Potter, Batman, Pirates of the Caribbean, Lord of the Rings, Spider-Man, Indiana Jones, Shrek, Transformers. Uh, But if you look at the highest real grossing movie franchise per film, uh, it has it in a different sequence of Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, Pirates of the Caribbean, Transformers, Jurassic Park, Spider-Man, Twilight, Indiana Jones and Shrek. Now I can hear uh, Darth blowing down my uh, neck saying uh, he wants to come in (laughs) at this point. So, Darth... um, which do you think is the best way of defining what makes something the top of a, a franchise? Is it, is it uh, with adjusted monetary figures, you know, for inflation? Or is it, um, do, you, do you break it down? I mean, obviously with James Bond, you've got 25 films uh, that are put into that franchise. Um, so, do you want to make a comment here before we go to Mike on his choices? What are you asking? (laughs) 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 Usually when we do these topics, you you quite rightly uh, like to sort of uh, have more of a structure to the way we're uh, looking at these franchises. And the links that I put in the room, uh, the different movie, top movie franchises of all time, they are different in different lists. And I'm assuming because some have used... Um, you know uh, the adjusted prices, uh, you know the ticket receipts adjusted for inflation. Others haven't done so. Others have done them in terms of um, perhaps the number of movies in the series. So if you look at the um, the AmericanLiveWire.com top ten movie franchises of all time, uh, the top three, four are Harry Potter, James Bond, Star Wars, Pirates of the Caribbean, Batman. But if you look at the um, the twenty five movie franchises of all time by IGN uh, that has um, Star Wars uh, first oh, th- this is one of these ones where they do it separate page for each one then they've got James Bond second and let's just do the third one and they've got Lord of the Rings third so do you feel as though there's a preferred way of uh, compiling a list like this?
0: Well, I mean, I think it just depends on the question that you want to answer. Um,
3: it, well, it which depends. is the definitive way of deciding the most successful franchise? I mean, for instance, I played in the Cut the Montreux, I used Star Wars in played with our thing because, um, in many many people's eyes, that is the premier uh, franchise because of all the spin-offs and everything. Um, but other people might think that Harry <clears throat> Potter or something else is.
0: The problem is that there is no one standard. Um, and it, it really does depend on the question that you're trying to answer. Um, for some franchises, it's much more important what the domestic gross is at the moment. Um, and, you know, if you do that, then you find out sort of silly things uh, like you know, the most successful film in the Star Wars franchise is Episode One, which, you know, that's not true if you look at constant dollars, but that is true if you look at just absolute monetary figures. And for some people, that's a perfectly acceptable metric. Um, the thing that bugs me, but nevertheless I recognize as being important, I guess, is, you know, the American press's um, attraction – to the domestic gross number. Uh, and and so they'll go around and they'll report all sorts of silly things, you know, like um, uh, whatever that stupid, what's that vampire, modern vampire thing? What is it?
2: Twilight. Twilight. Twilight yeah,
0: so they'll, so they'll say things like, you know, Twilight beats Skyfall at um, box office, which is... Totally untrue, really. Except if you're looking at a very narrow focus, like what were this weekend's numbers at the American box office only. In in that sense, you can say, okay, Twilight did beat them. But when you look at world figures, then all of a sudden, you know, it's a totally different picture. Um, And to me, that's the number that actually matters: is what is the amount of money that you have put into a studio's hands around the world because of a certain movie. And it, I mean, the, um, the, the adjusted stuff is interesting. There's no doubt the adjusted stuff is, you know, when you're speaking theoretically and I suppose if you're trying to, you know, look back historically and find a basic basis of comparison, of course you have to do some sort of adjusted numbers because otherwise you'd end up with silly things like, uh, you know, the Hobbit being a better grossing picture than Gone with the Wind. I mean, that's just not true, but you can, it looks that way if you don't adjust the numbers. Um, So it's important, I suppose, when you're looking historically, but history isn't what gets things made. I mean, what gets things made is actually the relatively um, less useful number or, or less accurate number of How much money did this make in America? Because America, for ill or bad, is the market that defines the movie industry. Um, Conversely, I mean, it's nice to see sometimes some studios bucking that trend entirely and just saying, screw this. Uh, You know, what we're actually interested in, in is how much money did we make off this film for real? And so they'll look at the amount of money that they actually got around the world. And no, they won't adjust that for inflation, uh, but at least they'll look around the world. At least they'll look at their total numbers. And I think sometimes some Americans are are baffled when, uh, like, I'm sure that there will be some Americans baffled if there, or when there comes ten ten two, for instance, uh, because there's no reason based on the American box office that there should be a ten ten two, really. Um, but when you look at the entire world, you'd have to say yes, there is. So I mean, that's sort of around about answer to a roundabout question, uh, it, 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 it matters what, who you are and what you're trying to do. If you are a, an, a, a, uh, an observer of film and not somebody actually producing the film, not somebody interested in the question of should we green light a sequel or whatever. If you're a producer, I mean if you're a viewer of film, then I think it behooves you to say to stay away from the American press entirely. And, and to try to objectively see how much money did this film make today in its initial release. And and that's an important indicator of whether that film was popular. It's also important to look at the split between the domestic and the foreign, because um, it, it might tell you something about decisions that are then made about that franchise. I mean, if the split is, you know, you got a film that made, let's say, $800 million worldwide – but only $100 million is in the United States, um, that might tell you something about that film without even having to go see it. And the thing that it might tell you is this is basically an action-adventure movie that probably doesn't have a great script in English. It doesn't have a great English-language script because it didn't give anything to the American audience to hold on to. But it, it has some pretty good effect scenes that the rest of the world can... Um, uh, Hold on to I think it's also important sometimes to look Even deeper into the numbers And to look at the um, Grosses by country Because you can see all sorts of interesting things um, You know like Why is it in particular that The Latest Bond film Skyfall why did it do well in Germany Because it did amazing numbers In Germany And then you might say well You know the reason is because um, it had some really good translation work on it. And so if you're a producer, then you go and you say, well, next time I have a film that's going out in Germany, I'm going to get those people working on that film to to um, do my uh, translation as well, and probably I'll get bigger numbers overseas. The example I always give is Wings World 2, which in the Czech Republic got two releases. It got one release where it was a... Uh, direct translation of the film, of the English script. And that version bombed. It totally bombed at the Czech box office. Not that the Czech box office matters that much, but still, it totally bombed. And and they went back to the drawing board, and they were like, what happened here? How did this film, which was doing really well in the United States and in Britain and some other places, why did it do so badly in the Czech Republic? And they they kind of worked it out, and they figured out We just, you know, it's a film whose humor is based entirely on vernacular language, and we didn't use vernacular language. Um, So they went back and they had, you know, popular Czech radio DJs go over the script and try to put it into language that worked in Czech, and then they re-released the film, and it did gangbusters. Um, So there are all sorts of metrics that you can look at. None of them are particularly... Definitive, though some of them may be definitive in particular situations, depending on the question that you're <coughs>
4: asking. So, Darth, when
6: they release an English language film in another country, is it subtitled or is it dubbed for the most
4: part?
0: Oh, both. And, you know, as you kind of expect, uh, the versions that tend to be more popular are the ones that are dubbed. Um, because people don't want to have to bother with reading uh, and also because when you do subtitles you're forced sometimes to hack away parts of the script uh, in order to get the right subtitle up on the screen at the right moment in the film uh, you can see this in some things I mean I guess if you're watching I don't know Doctor Who videos or whatever and you put up the subtitles they're pretty literal because I guess people don't really care about the matchup they just care about getting the script actually there in the transcript but if you look at other films, you will see a lot of times, a lot. What was the, there was one I was watching recently where it was just like, oh, my God, they're chopping out huge sections of the script just to make it time up right. Uh, so it just it depends. But generally speaking, um, I, the, the versions that have a, a soundtrack uh, overdub are the ones that um, do better than the subtitles.
3: Okay. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah um well um just jump in there Um mike's just dropped off audio for the moment so uh, but he hopes to get back we'll go to kobo in a minute uh, let me just put in again then that this might be the easiest list for people to have a quick r- rundown just prepared this is the uh, www the dash numbers.com forward slash movies forward slash franchises now this isn't um uh you know set for inflation but there i mean just to to underline one of those points you made there uh, in terms of uh uh domestic box office for america and in like star wars it's it's 2 and a quarter billion in america and 4.4 billion out uh, you know worldwide so half half the money was made in the us well, if you look at the James Bond, less than two billion in America, but over six billion uh, worldwide. In other words, um, uh, two thirds of the money was made outside the states. But just very and quickly, and that's, a, read the, that's a really
0: good, that's a good uh, illustrative point um, because honestly, there is no reason that the James Bond series should have survived after the eighties. Uh, especially after you get to License to Kill, you should have just shot that franchise. If you were depending upon American receipts, uh, but because the the franchise isn't depending on American receipts, then you know that's why it it, it succeeds. And I think I, the one that you should really look at is look at License to Kill. License to Kill did horrible business in the United States, but it did. Okay, business outside of that, and when you compare what its total receipts were to the, um, you know, the cost of making it, it's an brainer that you continue with the series.
3: All right. Okay. Uh, well, what I'll do is um, let's play the uh, the the. the th- I'm going to a few things, th- and then we'll go to Kobo So this is the Star Wars theme. <laughs> It there, because uh, uh, I'll just be playing different themes during the course of this show, so Kobo, uh, I know she's jumping about in text, but are you okay to go, and um, do you want to tackle any of these, I mean I can read out the orders from some of these Are uh, do you want to just talk about some of the ones you uh, prefer
6: um, to my mind the best series there's only been two films thus far but Taken is a wonderful, wonderful series. Um, a lot of people didn't like Taken Two. I personally did.
3: The Liam Neeson, Liam Neeson one, isn't it?
6: Yeah. Um, and the Bourne series. The later ones not so great, but. Um, by and large fantastic stuff. Um can we consider um Mystery Science Theater um movie franchise? Because I think what they do with movies is fantastic.
4: Uh-huh.
2: Well, strictly well, speaking they've you only actually had one movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the rest were TV shows talking over the top of movies. So,
4: but with what they're
6: doing with speaking, riff no. tracks, what they're doing with riff tracks could
4: technically be considered
2: commentary well, over but movies. But I mean, it's really just kind of an an, an addition to a movie. But uh, when taking them,
6: um. And me and my sister when we were kids often wondered why they didn't do it with great movies and now they are. And you haven't lived until you've heard the Rift Track commentary to Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> um, I, 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 I think it
2: the main reason at the time was because there was a broadcast uh, TV show they would have to I, I'm assuming that they would have to get rights to screen that particular movie and then get right you know the permission to do that now that's basically they're just a podcast like Dave and I doing a, a commentary over the top of something that I think they are selling theirs so I don't know how that works
6: yeah you can buy the actual DVD with the commentary put into it but I always buy the audio file because it's cheaper <laughs> um But as far as, like, the main franchises, of course there's Indiana Jones, of course there's James Bond, but for me, Star Wars is the ultimate movie franchise. I mean, original trilogy, obviously. Um what One version, mean?
0: <laughs> obviously, that is not an obvious fact at all.
2: Well, obviously, <laughs> I'm not going to let that pass. You can't say that. That's
0: ridiculous. In terms of the money, in terms of what's been created afterwards, there is zero doubt that it's the prequel trilogy that matters. It's the prequel trilogy that is forcing the sequel trilogy. Um No, that is not an obvious statement whatsoever if we 're talking about you know franchise and what the financial health of the franchise is and all that stuff, you know on every metric, the prequel trilogy beats the the original trilogy, and especially where it beats it is in terms of its foreign penetration the 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 original trilogy was an equal split between domestic and foreign the The prequel trilogy really blew the doors off the foreign market and made Star Wars truly a global phenomenon. It was already kind of a global phenomenon before that, but you went from an equal 50-50 split to, you know, more like a 33-66 split. And all of a sudden you had Star Wars popular in a lot more countries.
6: Hello, Han shot first.
0: (laughs) Does that have to do with anything? I was thinking was foreign yeah I know I said that I was in trouble but what are you going to do Uh,
6: I'm just saying they've done so many crappy things with well Huntshot first
0: first of all that's a reference to the original trilogy that's not the prequel trilogy
6: they've done so many crappy things with the franchise I'm, I'm just saying George Lucas pretty much single handedly tanked the
0: franchise. You can't back that up with any kind of objective measure. If if, if this is a tank, if a $4 billion franchise is a tanked franchise, man, I want a tanked franchise.
3: Okay. Yeah, I'll have 10% of that. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, but I mean, I, mean, I mean, there are, I think, what I don't want to put words in Kobo's mouth, but there are people that wish he hadn't oh yeah. messed about with all these different cuts and, and you know, the, right. the same has been being done with other films, you know, where um, where they've missed things about.
0: That's true, and that, I mean that's that's an entirely separate discussion from yeah, is yeah. the Star Wars trilogy improved financially by the this is the prequel trilogy or not. There's zero doubt that it is. It became a much bigger deal because of the prequel trilogy.
6: But are we talking purely financial? Financials here, or are we talking the health? Of Critically the and
1: artistically is what Kobo's talking about. That's that's what he's getting at. Yeah, he's not talking financial. To him, it hurts him to see what the prequel does not work for him. He's validating the original three films, and, and,
0: and that's, that's fine. I, I was just objecting to the word obviously.
1: Yeah, it's not. <laughs> it, it's, it's, yeah, it, yeah. it's obvious for him. But it's not, you know, no matter what what someone says. I think Clone Wars is the saving grace of the prequel trilogy. Um, But, you know. know.
6: Yeah, Revenge of the Sith was the only reason the prequel trilogy mattered at all.
1: But, again, we have Star Wars in new hands. Maybe very vibrant hands.
6: Thank you, J.J. freaking
3: Abrams. Oh you know, my God!
1: You know? Well, 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 well you don't know what he's going to do yet. We don't. It, it could be very wonderful, or it could not be very wonderful. But I'm, I'm extremely excited. you, I love I love Star Trek. Yeah. You know. It's this a good I, point I to have, mention
3: I, the news. Then I think I, it I is. Have, yeah, we might as well. Right here. <laughs>
7: I, I have the opposite take. I don't like what he did with Star Trek, so I'm concerned. What's going to happen oh, with Star Wars?
2: He, to, to me, and I'm, not, and I'm not just kind of gushing, but my wife and I have watched that movie about four times now together. And to me, that that uh, it'd be pulling teeth, I think, to get her to watch. Um, yeah, I, mean, I think she went to one of the the, the, the next generation ones, so. but for me, to me, that's successful because you know it appealed to her uh, uh, as a movie, and so.
6: But I loved what he did with Mission Impossible Three. And I'm a fringe fanatic, and I loved Alias with a passion. As a matter of fact, 4747 is a reference to Alias. Bonus points to anybody that can get that. Um,
3: Hi, oh, dear. Pin number?
6: <laughs> Rem... <laughs> Milo Rimbaudi always did something, um, tricky with page 47 of his manuscripts, so, on his 47th manuscript of his, on the 47th page of his 47th manuscript, there was the secret vial, and that's what it's a reference to, mm. so... That tells you well, how but, much I
0: love JJ. So but that that's JJ Abrams stealing from Star Trek, though. Too that that comes from yeah. a, a, a writer's room thing that they did in early Next Generation that they carried through the entire Star Trek series because there's forty sevens everywhere in Star Trek, in much the same way that there's you know eleven forty twos all the way through George Lucas's work. Right? Do
3: you yeah, need to clarify right. for the listeners later? That um, why we why we, there's this this we've diverged slightly at this point because of the appointment.
2: Well, Darcy, uh, would you, uh, yeah. you Darragh? I think he had it prepared. So, Darth if you wouldn't mind uh, handling the next part of our news, which ties right into our topic today.
0: Well, I suppose the reason that we're you know talking about J.J. Abrams in the context of. Just having talked about Star Wars is because on Friday or going into Saturday he was uh, officially announced as the director of uh, Star Trek. What would that be? Star Trek Seven. Star Wars. (laughs) Star Wars. (laughs) What am I thinking? Hello, but that's that's exactly the point. Now we're going to have confusion over the next few months. Star Trek uh, Into Darkness. well, true, because then that would bring William Shatner into the discussion, which would just, you know, make the internet explode. But um, the, uh, yeah, over the next four months, as we wait for Star Trek Into Darkness, or what we might call Star Trek 12, to be released, um, and he being the director of that, we're going to get a lot of uh, free publicity, I suppose, for uh, that film, because he's now been. Uh, announces to the director of Star Wars Seven. That's going to create a, a great deal of interest. So there's going to be for a while a good deal of synergy between Star Trek and Star Wars. Because um, I guarantee you, you know, every time he goes up for a press conference on the the press junket for Star Trek, he's going to be asked about Star Wars. Uh, which, frankly, you know, I don't think I would have ever lived to have seen. You know, a time where there would be a blending and generally I suppose a positive blending between Star Trek and Star Wars and that the two would have ever been mentioned sort of in the same sentence in a press conference. And it's, it's going to do crazy things. I mean, I think it's going to, uh, it's going to force a lot of people who are strictly Star Wars fans and sort of anti-Star Trek fans um, to go see Star Trek in the darkness because now they're looking at, you know, (laughs) in a sense they're new Lucas they're looking at the new face of Star Wars by going into Star Trek which is just a a sort of a mind-blowing concept but I think that's great I think it's great for both franchises Uh, the only downside might be you know I suppose this naturally means that Abrams will not be involved in the third film to which all the actors in Star Trek are committed but which he is not committed to um I can't imagine that he would have time to direct both of those films and have a 2015 delivery date for Star Wars 7. Um, so, then you know, again, he
6: is a
4: god. So.
0: Well, he's not a god. Uh, he, he's clearly made some missteps along the way, but he's he's done a lot of good things. I think he's a sort of a natural choice. And it makes a good deal of sense. Apparently there was a, some... Um, backstage wrangling by Spielberg on this, and Spielberg making uh, sort of a personal appeal to both Disney and Lucas, um, you know, saying, look, if you're going to pick one guy, it's got to be this, so let's make a good deal that will make sure that it happens. We don't know at this point a number of things. We don't know if it's uh, more than seven or if it's the entire trilogy. I think a lot of people would kind of hope for uh, you know they're there to be one person over all three, but of course, the original trilogy technically didn't have um, the same director over all three. Um, I say technically only because there's well, there's no doubt that Irving Kirstner was the director. Period of Empire Strikes Back. A little more doubt as to how much influence Lucas had over Richard Marquand for Return of the Jedi. Um, uh-huh.
6: While we're on the subject of gotcha. Abrams and Star Trek Into Darkness uh, Did anybody Hear about that reddit story about the guy That was dying And he really wanted to see Star Trek Into Darkness And he didn't think he was going to make it So like a bunch of people Went on reddit And appealed to J.J. J. Abrams to Give him and his wife An <laughs> advance screening of
4: into darkness. Yeah, I heard about
0: that story. That's a good story. He, he was apparently, I forget, he's associated with some awards, entertainment awards. I forget which ones now, but he he was sort of in the entertainment industry anyway, so he had sort of a leg up on getting the attention of J.J. Um, J. Abrams. So it's a good human interest story that that happened.
3: Um, Doc, you said you didn't think he could do both, oh, more than one. But I mean, from the, the 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 Star Trek film, the rebooted Star Trek, and this one coming out, there's been a good three three and a half year gap, hasn't there? I mean, so is there not time for him to do a Star Wars and then get back to Star Trek for the third film? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean,
0: it, it really depends. We don't know what we know what Disney's. Uh, timetable is, but we don't know what Paramount's timetable is for Star yeah. Trek. Um, one would assume... We, we also don't know whether he's doing Star Wars 8, and that makes a big difference too. If he's not doing Star Wars 8, yeah, I would say that he could do Star Wars 7 and then do Star Trek 13. I think that would be not too big of a stretch. But if he is doing Star Wars 8, I don't see that there's any way. I Given the The size of the project um, right. you know if the, if this were you know a romantic comedy or whatever I think yeah, yeah, you could expect that a director could do you know two or three films in a three year period that that could be possible, but not when you're talking about you know something as big as Star Wars and something as big as he has made Star Trek. Um, I, but you know, who knows? It, it, the other thing is, is there even, I mean, one imagines that the next star Trek film has been greenlit, but I'm not sure if that's been said yet. Um, we know that the actors are committed to three films, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the third film has been greenlit. Uh, it's, it's, it's all about timing. It's all also about, you know, just how big a factor is Abrams going to play in the Star Wars galaxy, as it were? If he's if he's going to be the director for all three, he's effectively becoming kind of the new George Lucas. He's effectively taking over the franchise. Um, and that's a bigger commitment than just directing one film. I that's, have
6: no problem with that, though. No.
0: Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Um, well, We certainly saw that – I mean, George Lucas is maybe an exceptional case because he's a guy that has so many interests he wouldn't necessarily have done films in between. But, um, I mean, I don't know. It, it was possible for George Lucas to do – although he didn't direct it. It was possible for him to executive produce and, and write the story for Raiders. And to put Raiders in between Episode 5 and Episode 6. Um, so it's, it's possible. It's, just, it's, it's all about the timing, though. I think it makes the timing much, much tighter. And it makes it much more in doubt to me that he would do Star Trek three. And that's fine with me if he doesn't. Um, because I think you know, his, his service to Star Trek was simply to resuscitate a dead franchise. And at least he has done that. And so he could pass that off to somebody else. He was always sort of on the border of doing Star Trek, uh, of directing Star Trek anyway. I mean, it was more that he initially was just going to be the producer and sort of oversee it in in a sort of um, the way that Christopher Nolan is kind of doing the Superman stuff. Um, And and it it was always late in the day when he finally signed to both Star Trek 11 and Star Trek 12. So who knows? But my worry really with him on Star Wars is the 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 opposite of why I think he's been good for Star Trek. The reason that he's great for Star Trek is that he's not really a Star Trek fan. He's, he's sort of that Nicholas Meyer uh, guy who comes in with a fresh eye and says, how can I make a good film out of the material that – the big broad strokes of the material that's here? And, you know, he lets two people write it, one of them who is an intense Star Trek fan and one of them who is not quite so intense a Star Trek fan. And they come up with, you know, a film that is somewhere in the middle, you know, and and that's why I think it appeals to so many people. But we know that he is a huge Star Wars fan and that he gave commentary or gave quotes uh, at least as uh, recently as December – where he said, there's no way I could direct Star Wars because I'm too big a fan, and my place is, I think the direct quote is, my place is in the uh, a movie theater chair, not the director's chair. Um, and I, I worry a little bit that he's so close to it that he might not do as good a job at sort of uh, revitalizing it as he did with Star Trek, but that's a minor concern. He's, he's proven himself over and over again to be good at Finding the core elements of particular franchises and rebooting them, restarting them
3: um it's amazing what these people can accomplish. I mean, if you think of Peter Jackson and you know less than them would have been killed by some of the you know the the workload that he's taken on in the last ten years so so you never know yeah. I do
6: have two mm-hmm. major quibbles with that franchise while we're talking about the. While we're talking about the of the rings here.
3: Okay, then. And then we'll go to Jeff, by the way, next, just so Jeff knows. Um, um,
6: why did they not do the scouring of the Shire? Why? Because that, to me, is part of the core of the story.
0: Uh, well, <laughs> uh, I mean, the Sky and the Shire is there in a way. It's in the, um, you know, what he views in Galadriel's mirror. Um, So you see the possibility that it would have happened. The other reason is, you know, come on. Um, That film was already criticized uh, about having really long multiple endings, and that would have just been yet another ending to throw on there and a little bit of, um, you know, drama that they had to work out at the end when they were trying to wrap the whole thing up and I think filmically it just wouldn't work and I think that that was really the reason that um, Philip Avoyans gave as to why she didn't include it was just because you know, it's a different medium and at that point in the film it just wouldn't have worked and I agree there are tons of things that don't work from Tolkien um, and and therefore not within the film's purely on theatrical reasons. Um, so you I have to make that, your no,
1: choices, Kobo, and yeah. it also involved Soromon and we were at least blessed to have the ending of Saruman on the extended evi- edition, which was changed and excised in the theatrical, which I think was a real shame, because I think that was just so brilliantly done, but and you can't have everything. I mean, Tom Bombadil doesn't make anything, which I, oh, which I think, thank God, uh, considering yes. that would have just turned off and stopped the film yeah. if if you had him and you had uh, songs to Goldberry all, all through that. Um, uh,
6: but, uh, but speaking as a fan of his songs and his poetry, I think you lose some of the flavor of...
1: Well, but... You know, you it's, it's a give and take. You're not going to have everything you want. Have you ever heard the BBC uh, radio version of Lord of the Rings? No, I've... Okay, you need to hear this. If you want the songs, if you want the poetry, if you want mm-hmm. exactly what Tolkien, Tolkien uh, had written, that's it's where you'll find poetry, it, it. Ian Holm as Frodo. Yeah. Bill Nye as Sam, and it's brilliantly done but you you have to make choices the the film the films can't go on any longer you have to keep audiences in their seats and you want to and you want to keep them coming back um you know you you're that that's that's always the blessing and the curse of any adaptation you know and but I will not, agree
6: But by and large, it's very well done. I mean...
3: Before we talk too much about Lord of the Rings, uh, because I know Jeff, I wanted Jeff to go next, and I know he had some comment that he wanted to just clarify about his thoughts about Star Trek. But um, let me just play the Star Trek theme, and then we'll go to Jeff, and he can just mention some of the things he's put in text. That was from the original movie, Darth.
2: Uh, Still not at the Star Trek thing, though. We're talking movie fantasies, though.
4: Is that not the Star I Trek theme? I, challenge,
0: I challenge you to find that in the Abrams version. You will find, however, a quote from the James Horner version.
3: That's from the the, the 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 Star Trek the motion picture, that.
0: I know precisely where it's from. I'm just saying that's
2: not real Star Trek.
3: <laughs> I love that film.
2: That was the really cool
0: thing. Anyway, uh, the,
3: the uh, let's go to
7: movie,
3: <laughs> uh, Je- Jeff. Did you want to just clarify what you meant when you commented earlier, and then talk about some of the franchises you enjoyed?
7: Well, first, I think I want to clarify something else, and that was the theme from Star Trek. Sorry, <laughs> Darth. <laughs> <laughs>
4: <laughs> really. <laughs> you,
0: want throw down, you, you want to throw down that old goldsmith crap against James Warner? You really want to do that? I don't think you do.
7: Absolutely, oh, <laughs> absolutely.
0: What
4: was James I know. And, and,
6: and
0: you're really going to compare that to the the Abr- the, the 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 new one? No, oh, come on. The new one is oh. way better.
7: No, no, no. This blows away the Abrams. Blows it away. Um, Sorry.
6: I agree with you, Jeff.
7: Thank you, Copo. I appreciate
1: that. I agree, too. Goldsmith, brilliant. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, so brilliant that he was quickly kicked out of the franchise.
1: And James Horner borrowing from his score of Battle Beyond the Stars. Yeah, but they used it. And the themes being used in uh, Wrath of Khan. You know. But.
7: they used it again in Star Trek 5 and Star Trek Oh, oh Star Trek, V,
0: you say? Oh, well, <laughs> by all means then. The more than a classic. Not I think you're not as your logic bad as
7: <laughs> well, not as bad as people make it out to be. Star Trek 5. Even <laughs> again, <laughs> a r-
0: endorsement. It's not as bad as people make it out to be. I am going to
2: get
1: some popcorn. This is turning out to uh. a good <laughs> show. <laughs> Let's get the jello and it's time for the wrestling match. <laughs> oh,
3: you got it! I'm okay, We can have the music from the original Star
0: Trek from like a month time, and we are going to have that battle music. to the music.
7: All right. Now it was in Star Trek Eight. Now are you going to tell me that was a bad film?
0: Uh, it's nothing like Star Trek Eleven.
7: That I'm was, was Eight was away. Eleven.
0: Uh, well, clearly not in the box office, and clearly not in the ratings.
7: Okay, this goes into my other clarification. I yeah. did not like Star Trek 11 as a Star Trek film, but I did like it as a sci-fi film. They could have renamed the characters, renamed the ship, made the ship look different. It would have been a great film. you
3: like a, a, a film, completely alternate, yeah.
7: Yeah, exactly. But as a Star Trek film, it did not have the spirit of Gene Roddenberry and wagon. uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, a sci-fi western that he had in his mind, Wagon Trail of the Stars. It it didn't. It didn't have that feel. It it was just an action popcorn film. Go out and enjoy.
3: I mean, I, I had a couple of niggles with it, mainly that weird spaceship. And the bit that Darth loves so much with uh, Scotty in the innards of the uh the ship, uh, I didn't I didn't like that, but I, I can see that um it, it could appeal in terms of it was a, a literal descriptive of uh, um you know Scotty and his relationship with the ship. But
7: uh, I I, I <laughs> hated that scene. Uh, the whole engineering set was wrong. Completely wrong. Anyway, that's the only I, guy, guy, guy with
2: it. that's the o- only one though. But uh I have to say this though, I think what they did with Star Trek was needed because as much as I love the next generation, Nemesis It was
3: dead, yeah, it was basically
2: got... it drew over stake through the heart of Star Trek and just flatlined it. I mean, it was terrible. It relied too heavily on knowing exactly what was going on in the Star Trek universe and and knowing all about data and it's just it was yeah. You know, and uh, let really me read what at the beginning and uh, start again and.
3: eleven seventy nine. But as Ken said on a previous show, uh, make a, a, a remake something new. Don't borrow an exchange. Go all new. Which I suppose, Jeff was saying that again. But um, anything else you want to clear out of the way before you sort of pick pick some of your um, favourite franchises.
7: Well, I, I just have some trepidation for the Star Wars franchise. If Abrams does what he did to Star Trek with Star Wars, I don't know if I'll like it. I, I guess we're just okay. going to have to wait and see and find out what he does with it. But uh, I don't know. Maybe it may turn out to be really, really good uh, if it's in the uh, same spirit as the original, uh, the original uh, trilogy will be very good.
3: Okay.
2: Well, Um, let me give you some time to... Yeah, Yeah, basically, talk now about your your favourites and stuff like that, but uh, Dave wants to play it
3: first. Yeah, uh, (laughs) uh, the the other big one that we've mentioned already, so, um, um, (laughs) was Lord of the Rings, so let's just get... uh, Actually, I I, I got the theme, I didn't particularly like it, I uh, actually prefer the... uh, the music for the actual um the hobbit place but let me play the theme quickly Shire music, so I like that a lot better. About it.
7: <laughs> Go on, Jeff. Uh, just one more point I want to make about the Star Trek themes. Uh, to me, a theme sticks in your mind. And Darth, I can't even remember the theme to Star Trek 11, but the Star Trek the motion picture theme sticks in my mind because it's so good. But I'll shut up about that right now and uh, talk about some other franchises that I really like. Um, uh i think the the ones i really like uh that have an, a great blend of action uh adventure and humor and uh are also somewhat consistent uh so when when i think of really great uh movie franchises i think of the like the original star wars trilogy um i also think of uh raiders of the lost ark indiana jones that trilogy and i guess the fourth film was was pretty good too
6: um. Um. Cough of disagreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, um.
7: Well, I figured somebody would say that. I I did enjoy the fourth film. Um, went to the theater actually to see that. Um, I will cough in agreement.
4: <laughs>
7: and I only. And went, I enjoyed it. I, I I saw only three of the four in the theater. It was one of them, and I I did enjoy that quite a lot. Uh, there were a couple niggles I had with it, but uh, otherwise it felt like Indiana Jones. It was consistent. Um, I also enjoy, uh, the men in black series and I just saw the third film about uh, a week and a half ago and I was thrilled with it. Uh, I, I thought it was, uh, uh, very much in, in consistency with the first film. Uh, the second one was a little bit down compared to the other two, but, uh, uh, I, I did enjoy the second one as well. So, um. Again, there there has to be consistency from film to film uh, for a franchise to be very good, in my opinion. And those are the ones that really stick in my mind as doing that. Those are the ones I enjoy.
3: Okay, uh, and I'm just answering in text. Yeah, that the when when I'm I go to YouTube for a lot of these sound clips and. It's very difficult finding the descriptions to find the official ones. And I think Garth is right. I mean, that's just uh, almost uh, Hobbit related music. I think it's from an oh, extended version, I was trying to say there. But since you mentioned Indiana Jones, we'll play that and then we'll go to Ken. a little bit long, that one. Uh, Ken, please.
1: That was rousing. I have my whip and my hat on. Are
3: you going to go it again?
1: Throw me the idol.
3: (laughs)
2: He's trying to do anything to get it on coffee, I tell you. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, um, I have to give a vote again for Star Wars, of course. I, I adore... The original trilogy—it's part of my life. George Lucas revolutionized film; totally changed the way people view films, and made B movies into A-list movies. Between him and Steven Spielberg, um, the movies—it's it, not just a thing of love; it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's part of my soul. I—I—I I, I, I love the original trilogy. The Previous trilogy, or the new trilogy, good movies. I uh, think uh, that episode three is the best. I seem to enjoy what they're doing in Clone Wars more than I enjoy what was being there. Uh, for some reason, whatever was in my mind, being the story of Anakin Skywalker, hearing Alec Guinness's words in, in the first film never have matched up into what I have on screen. Um, that great hero and friend is is not what came in with uh, that insipid boy in the first movie and Hayden Christensen as much as he tried in, in the last one. But again, it's kind of piercing uh, words on this. There's still so much in those movies that I love, from Darth Maul to yoda battling with with christopher lee um to the final link up of of the film with the uh, revelation of uh palpatine uh ascending spoilers. what spoilers spoilers yeah people if you don't know by now please you have problems uh palpatine uh, being the emperor etc and I've really got to credit uh, Richard Marquand back in the day, uh, not only for getting the job of directing uh, Return to the Jedi, and as Darth said, how much did he do? Because I have the feeling that some of the main set pieces, George might have come in the, the final lightsaber battle, et cetera, and, and given a hand, but he hired Ian McDermid, to play the emperor uh, as a young man in his thirties and then years later being so brilliant, the kind of link of all, all those films, um, his performances, Palpatine slash the emperor is, is just wonderful. And uh, with JJ J. Abrams taking over to me, it's tossing a coin. I, I it's wait and see. I don't know if, I'm I'm not cheering, and I'm not crying right now. I'm not a J.J. Abrams booster. I enjoyed what he did with Star Trek on one hand for the movie that it was. I know that it will never be my Star Trek. It's not my crew. I'm an old-time fan. It's something else. If you called it something else and not Star Trek, I could probably enjoy it more but it it doesn't have the feeling maybe it wasn't made for me and and i accept that and it, it's not going to be for my generation but going into the star trek franchise of films it took someone who wasn't invested in star trek nick Ma- meyer who brilliant time after time was his film <laughs> Who came on with Harb Bennett and saved the Star Trek franchise after Star Trek The Motion Picture, or Motionless Picture as the case may be, if we w- want to get cynical about it? Um, the first movie, directed by Robert Wise, which is a miracle that it ever got on screen with all the problems, uh, with the special effects being trashed and then redone. Um, actually one of the greatest things about star trek the motion picture is jerry goldsmith's wonderful score <laughs> his his opening theme the the undercurrent music for the klingons which is something that that's going to be used for years later in in next generation and in other star trek films uh, the the use of the horns etc to un- underlie them um I think that's wonderful. It was great seeing the crew get back together, but again, it's the even films. To me, the really valid, amazing Star Trek films. Two, Wrath of Khan, and my feeling is if you never did any more Star Trek films after number two, I would be sad but satisfied because I think it's perfection. You can't do anything better to me it says everything you need to know about Star Trek without any of the over preening, bad writing sometimes, or e Nista, or too many shoulder rolls that Shatner uh, could do every now and then. And I and I love and I love William Shatner. I think he's an amazing actor, but there there are times. And um
6: quite a few of them.
1: No no you you got to go into the guy's career he, he's really amazing Andersonville trial Boston
4: legal
1: Andersonville trials judgment at Nuremberg uh the 10th level lot lot of different things a
4: Boston very strange
1: legal. movie called Incubus in Esperanto which which is something uh that Ingmar Bergman would have made uh, the way it's done um it, it it's it's rather amazing um but two four and uh six and um and I am forgetting the name of the film right now the next generation film uh with the Borg first contact thank you, first contact to me those are the great films those are, what the are the um,
6: um generations
1: um I don't like kirk uh Dying kind of silly on a mountain. Um, I I don't know. I thought
7: I thought Star Trek three deserves to be in that list. Three is very
1: good. Three is very good, but but it it kind of made me sad to see the Genesis Planet so philosophical and mythic in number two, uh, life out of death, and then we learn eh, it's it's a it's a pile of junk. And it's falling apart and and it's and it's a little too convenient that just happens to get Spock off that planet just as he's about the right age, and all those things but no again, star trek three um if I was ranking the other's four stars, I'd give it three and a half, so we're 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 not it's not too far from the mark. I agree with you on that um but uh, I'm hoping I'm hoping that uh, Star Wars is just going to blow me away. I hope that I'm there with tears in my eyes and cheering because I hear the Star Wars theme and I get shivers. Even even have it watching Phantom Menace, even uh, with overmuch Jar Jar Binks and Mitty Clorins and some of the things I don't like on it. But then I'll have John Williams' amazing Duel of the Fates music and Darth Maul, Brilliant. And twin lightsabers, and that is fantastic. And I will be there mesmerized forever. And Qui-Gon Jinn is a great character that I wish we didn't lose in that film. But uh, I have so much to, to be thankful to George Lucas for. It's just the wonder he's given us. I mean, it, it, it's kind of like he's I was an adult but he's like a childhood friend because he awakens the child in me every every time I hear that lightsaber sound and and he he does something magic and passionate and it almost bothers me when people rag on him too critically for things because he's given us christmas now all the time in film and very few people do that, and 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 he gave that uh, to us, and that that's that's brilliant. Um, other films I want to get into and in some series, Lord of the Rings. I love those books when I was a kid, and I never thought that I would ever see the Lord of the Rings trilogy done as films. I was happy when Rankin Bass did The Hobbit. Was not happy. When Ralph Bocci did his Lord of the Rings only halfway through, rotoscoped, rather messy kind of animated film uh, that came out in the 70s. And I I do like Ralph Bocci. I I really like Wizards. And I think American Pie. Excuse me, American Pop. Uh, it's kind of like a, a whole musical history of America crossed with the Godfather in, in like 95 minutes. It's a brilliant little film, and I think the best use of rotoscoping uh, that he did, that, that's really good. But uh, Peter Jackson, in adapting those books, I love so much. And something Kobo said about the changes, things that are omitted or not in there, They made really important decisions when they put those films on screen. Part of it was what we were going to do with the characters. You have a love story that's only between the appendices in that book. That was brought out so beautifully in the movie. We have a character of Aragorn who, in the book, it's like he's born to it. This is Anduril, the flame of the west, the sword that is broken. I am the Dúnedain, to be king. It's right there in front of you. There's no growth. He's he's either Strider, which is a a false face, or he's the man who knows he's going to be king. And that's not character growth. Tolkien is so good at, at his description of characters and their thoughts, and the strength of the characters, but how do you translate that into a modern film? What they did with Vigo Mortens' wonderful acting, they gave a man who was unsure of what his fate was going to be, so tentative, and you saw him grow into that part of greatness, and that was so brilliantly done. Same thing with Boromir. Boromir, uh, I mean, excuse me, Faramir, that character um, is so well-drawn and shaded, you're not going to get that same depth uh, from the book. When you have Boromir's sacrifice uh, in Fellowship, I wept in the film. So, I mean, there's so much that was well done in those movies, the amazing set pieces, CGI that doesn't look like CGI. Um, Battle scenes like no one has ever seen before. And such beauty. Um, Well-deserved of the Oscars it received. I have not seen The Hobbit. I, I know I'll enjoy it. I don't think it'll be the same journey emotionally and artistically for me. Because you're doing a prequel and it's a... It's a much slighter book but i'm 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 glad he's still delving into that wonderful world and uh for uh, people to enjoy you were playing the music of Indiana Jones at another franchise uh I really enjoy um, i like all the movies, I think the first one is perfect it's a perfect homage to Saturday Afternoon Serials, which is what it intended to be. Harrison Ford's wonderful. Um, it would have been so different if the original actor, Tom Selleck, had had played the part of Indiana Jones. I, I can't imagine what it would have been like. I I, I don't think it would have uh, connected with, with audiences the world over. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Um I really enjoy the second film. A a lot of people, in fact, Spielberg in years later has come down against uh, Temple of Doom and said my heart wasn't into that film, etc. I like the rather dark feeling of it and the character growth and the real sense of danger from that film. Um, Indiana Jones and the, uh, the Grail, I... I don't think that film works as much because um, it's fun with great with Sean Connery as his dad. But by the time you get to the resolution, it's like, that's it. That that's, that's what we've been fighting for. That's, that's the payoff. A, a night just in a room holding a cup and you have to be just trapped in a room for immortality. It, it, it seemed rather a letdown.
3: A bit five doctorish.
1: Mm hmm. <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind of. You know, it was just kind of a letdown. Crystal Skull, um, some of it a little far fetched, but it, it had a fun 1950s feel. Great to have Indiana Jones back. And I, I think what I loved more than anything was having Karen Allen back as Marion Ravenwood and knowing that uh, her and Indy have a son and kind of the legacy continuing. And it had a great feel to it. I, I really enjoyed uh, crystal skull. I, 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 I didn't have a lot of the problems. Uh, some people had with it. It was, it was a really good romp. I, th- I think in a way I, I enjoyed it more than the third film with the resolution, or I would say kind of even it, it, I didn't feel let down, uh, let down by the film. I, I I really thought it was it was a fun ride. Um, films that we've discussed before, some other older franchises, Planet of the Apes. I would say one of the, the first, uh, not first, but in in pop culture consciousness in in uh, in the past thirty forty years. Uh, to be in people's minds of being successful. They've had a revamp now with Rise of the Planet of the Apes, which is very successful, critically, and I think artistically beautiful. And they're going to continue with that um, franchise based on that film um, rather than what Tim Burton did. And I I think he rather failed with his attempt at... uh, paying homage and and his uh, redoing of of, uh, Planet of the Apes. Um, When you talk of trilogies I have to go back and, you know, we're not talking financial, but culturally important, one of the ones that really put the mark on doing trilogies, the, uh, the Godfather trilogy. Francis Coppola doing these amazing films, doing first two films won so many academy awards and critical acclaim but then to go back years later to the character of uh, Michael Corleone and instead of making him continuing in, the, in in the same note as the second film being this terribly driven criminal uh crime lord he wants to put it all away he He's he's longing for redemption, and so the film is the whole question with so much blood and darkness uh, in his soul. Can he put it aside? Can he be redeemed? And I I think that really makes that film stand out. Um, There's something in consciousness saying that that film was not uh, critically successful or a failure, but it, it... Got wonderful reviews. Um, There were some very mixed, but a lot of Academy Award nominations and brilliant performances. Um, There's been much said about uh, Francis Coppola casting his daughter Sofia Coppola, and very good director now, and perhaps her less than stellar performance. She was not an actress. I think she did an amazing job for someone who was just put in the film after Winona Ryder, who was originally going to uh, play the part, had to bow out out of illness, and uh, Coppola was Francis Coppola was put in a rock in a hard place, had to do something, and put his daughter in the film. And I think only the hardest-hearted person could watch the end of that film and not be moved with her performance. and how she plays out some of the final scenes in that film I don't want to give spoilers on on this but it's uh, it's if no one has seen these three movies they're uh, the greatest films ever in the history of film course, well, she's and, a
3: fine director now isn't oh she? One, wonderful no, right.
1: wonderful uh, Marie Antoinette because of
6: the greatest three films ever um no what was that you are talking about the Godfather trilogy, right? Being yes. The
1: yeah.
6: greatest films ever? Um, No.
1: Hmm. I, I, I think it's the greatest, greatest, tril- greatest tril- film ever. Think- I would say the are three of the greatest films ever made.
3: I would think it's the greatest trilogy made. Maybe not the greatest uh, franchise. Yeah,
1: that, that, but as the that's greatest up to trilogy. someone's opinion. I'm, I'm not saying they're the greatest film ever made. You know, that, that depends on somebody's list and what your mood is at the time. But I think for an achievement, when someone thinks about a franchise that began the idea of trilogy, that those are the films that that did it. But um, you yeah. know, oh, I I I would have it in my hold on, hold on a minute. What was that? Sorry.
0: Hold on. How how Godfather wasn't a trilogy until after Star Wars had completed its trilogy. I mean, film three comes way later than. Film too
4: that's
0: true. Um, that's p- I mean it wasn't it wasn't at all envisaged as a trilogy. Maria Puzo wrote Godfather's.
4: Okay, okay. I'm, I'm Ash- getting my, my time uh,
0: factor on that then. It is a great trilogy I don't, but, you know, but, that's, that's okay. a minor point. I don't take quibble with much of what you're saying, but you know it, it wasn't originally a trilogy.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, maybe there was not the intent for that till years later and he and was saying that. There was even a question of doing another film. And Puzo passed away. Coppola would never want to do that, but every now and then that that crops its head up, you know, in uh, in cinema and wanting wanting to do that. Um,
6: I can see Godfather One being one of the greatest films of
3: all oh, no. time. Two was better, surely.
1: Yeah, two. I mean it's two again it's, it's a matter of opinions they they do well, different things <laughs> it, it, it is
0: also well it's not exactly a matter of opinion it is demonstrably yeah, good uh, opinion says the second well i mean <laughs> Clearly <laughs> i mean, clearly, if you can, but i mean two clearly got more awards than one so i mean you you can
1: you can and, point to a metric the construction of two is really intricate right. the the way we we go from present into flashing back to young uh, Vito I mean, Corleone, just a, just and Pacino grows horse. as an actor in that. Yes, yeah, absolutely. but but you know again, whether whether Godfather one or two is better, again that's that's a matter of opinion. I think maybe it's whether I have steak or chicken for dinner. It they're both wonderful. I would you know, I would uh, I would rank them I would rank them equally in my book. Uh, three three a bit less but Mm. something that's interesting that he did when he had it on television one time and it was also it hasn't been on DVD but he did something it says Godfather novel for television he re-edited the entire uh, trilogy together took out the aspect of flashing back to young Vito Corleone and did it in chronological order yeah. tell as one unseemless film. So miniser-
3: a miniseries. And a
1: miniseries, and that's fascinating. I hope they put it that way on DVD in the future. I don't know if there are any plans or not for doing that. Um, something else I'll, I'll mention, briefly. want to turn it over. I don't want to go too long. Um, the Batman franchise.
4: Ah. What well, started? Yeah, mentioned.
1: <laughs> yeah, what started as kind of a wonderful miracle because Batman in the public consciousness is just pow, bim, bath, zow. There was that attitude when the Tim Burton film was first being talked about, and when it was announced that Michael Keaton was going to play Batman, the Fan circles went crazy. How dare you do this? This is insane. You're going to have Beetlejuice play Batman. You know, are you are you out of your minds?
3: Yeah, I mean, you'll be having a blonde James Bond next.
1: Yeah, I know, I know. And and the attitude about having um, Jack Nicholson as the Joker, no, no one was bothered by that. But you know, having having Michael Keaton. But he proved everyone wrong, and he did a really fine job. And Tim Burton gave Batman fans what they've wanted, true Batman fans, I'll say, for years, the dark Batman, the Batman of the pulp comics, the attitude of the 40s, the film noir tropes, and he did an amazingly successful, fun, very stylized film, which did wonderful box office. It was, it was a very big hit, and um, for my mind, it it lessens in time. I I I never really loved Jack Nicholson as a Joker, which really surprised me, because seeing what he did in The Shining to me it just seemed like Jack Nicholson in painted face makeup for me I I enjoyed him as as the hired Gunsel earlier in the film before the change more than what he was doing with the Joker just personally it didn't work for me um but overall really enjoyable film um a sequel was made much more closer to Tim Burton's heart um Batman Returns, and it and it had the villains of the Penguin and Catwoman. I I think it's a better film. Uh, it, it it's it's again very dark, maybe too dark for a lot of parents. We had a lot of problems here, and a lot of sexual tension and attitude because of, uh, um, Michelle Pfeiffer's Catwoman and her very very tight leather,
4: mm-hmm. and and
1: whips and. uh and Attitudes and Danny DeVito uh, biting biting the heads off uh, raw fish and uh, a, a bit maybe too grisly uh, for some. But, again, very good box office. Then, oh, we had Joel Schumacher come in. Joel Schumacher, who is a really good director... Wonderful genre and non-genre director, Flatliners and The Lost Boys uh, to name a few and um, he came in with Batman Forever with Val Kilmer taking over the role of Batman and Nicole Kidman and we have something very strange to at least this Batman fan a Batman that's well adjusted he's Joel Schumacher said my Batman isn't bothered by his parents murder anymore he's adjusted to it and uh, that if you take that away from Batman if you remove that there's no Batman this inner turmoil is what keeps this guy putting on this cape and cowl and going on roofs and beating up criminals and having that Line that he will not cross between good and evil, because he is driven. Because every time he sees a crime, he he reenacts what happened to him as a little boy, where his parents were killed right in front of his eyes. If you take that away, you're taking away the psychosis. You're taking away the trauma. Well, you might as well be doing Adam West. Can uh, I
6: take issue with that? Um. Oh. He isn't well-adjusted. That's the whole point yep. of the psychologist character. Exactly. All
1: and you have Garish Neon in the film. You have Tommy Lee Jones as Two-Face. And Jim Carrey Ter- is in a part that is so over-the-top, makes you run screaming and want uh, Frank Gorshin to return to it. And I, I really I really like the Adam West Batman. Can, can I ask you,
3: Ken? I mean, yes. one thing that always surprised me about the the, the stories was they'd have two villains in a story. I never understood why they would do that. Uh, I mean, sometimes the second villain was to set up the next movie, I suppose, rather than being too male. Main- they did it a bit in Spider-Man as well, didn't they? Yeah, two yeah villains they did in it.
1: I, I guess maybe thinking it's going to pad the box office. They also did something really sad. Billy D. Williams played District Attorney Harvey Dent in the first two Tim Burton movies. Right. So they were setting up the point that he was going to become disfigured and he was going to become Two Face. That's right. the whole legend, that's the whole way it works. And Billy D. was excited about the prospect that down the line, I'm going to be the villain. He was thrown out. He was gone by the time the third film. The only exacting continuity in those all four of those films is the wonderful Michael Gull as Alfred. And we come to the fourth film in this film series, Batman and Robin. We introduce Robin. We have Batgirl. We have Batnipples. And bat crotch shots. And the camera lingering on bat butt. And this is not a good thing. Again, the terrible neon. And we have Bane and we have Poison Ivy. And we have Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze. And it is one of the worst films ever. And it kills the franchise. And it's sad. And again, Joel Schumacher, how can you make a film like this and not know? Sometimes, how can you be such a good director? And he 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 made a wonderful film with Michael Douglas called Falling Down, um, about a man whose life is just totally distraught. One of Michael Douglas's best performances. This is a really good director, uh Joel Schumacher. But he gets a hold of Batman and George Clooney has since apologized. Oh yes, he becomes the next Batman. So we're having three different Batman Um
6: I can't believe I'm about to defend any aspect of Batman and Robin.
1: Oh there none the the only thing I can defend is every scene with Michael Go it's fine there are little but flashbacks with young Bruce Wayne and Michael Go which seem to be directed by someone else and he brings some grace and art and talent to that film everything else is an utter embarrassment but, yeah, but what you
3: you can call him would... Gough the surname I think
1: what was that, I'm sorry
3: his surname is pronounced Gough Michael
1: Goff thank you Gough go
6: but what I was about to defend was Bane is a lot closer to what he should be in the comic book
1: than I would say I would say only visually he was basically just kind of a brutal monosyllabic uh ape creature in the film Bane is so much more than that uh He's a being of great intelligence and guile in the film. He's he's just a Mexican wrestling, luchador-looking henchman to Uma Thurman's Poison Ivy. That's that's it, but enough on that. Um, Then, thank the gods that Christopher Nolan, years later, uh, with uh, Christian Bale and Liam Neeson and uh, Michael Kane and Gary Oldman revitalized, put the mythic back into Batman as never before, uh, delve into one of the greatest characters ever in Batman, Ray Zagool, um, who is... Created as being like an ultimate James Bond villain when he was created by Dick Giordino in the comics and having a, a great sweep and international feel when it was done in the comic book. By introducing that in the film franchise to go inside the whole psychology of the man, the need for Batman, almost like he is King Arthur, and England's need for a King Arthur. It's Gotham's need for a symbol to save it. And it's Bruce Wayne's journey through these three films then that are made, Batman Begins, Batman the Dark Knight, and Dark Knight Rises. These three films are his journey with different villains. And Christopher Nolan, I think, has created a modern masterpiece that I think transcends genre films I think we're deserving of best picture nominations. I think they, all three of them. I think uh, great, great acting from from all around. And uh, they didn't. They don't rely on special effects. They don't rely on gadgets. The the use of these things are real world application. So you really believe that. Someone like a Batman could exist in our world. It, it, it's not done so far-fetched. It's 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 not just total flight of fancy. And. Um,
6: and I think Christopher, uh, I mean not Christopher Nolan, but the guy who plays Batman in the Christian most Bay. Re- recent series is the definitive Batman.
1: I I would say on screen. I would say on screen. I, I would say maybe the best Batman ever is is in Batman the Animated Series, but um, yeah, I, I, oh yeah, yeah. You know, but, but but Christian Bale uh, is is remarkable. But I, I, but I have to hand it to Michael Keaton. I I'm I was never angry, but I was scratching my head, going, I could see him as the Joker, but not Batman. But he really pulled it off.
6: And the best Joker ever is Mark Hamill. If we're going,
1: oh, yeah, the whole the whole story uh, about Mark Hamill being the Joker is so interesting in that it's it's the laugh he used and the vo- uh, when he when he played Amadeus on stage. That that Amadeus has this annoying, terrible giggle and laugh, and that's the laugh he used. And he you know, he beat out Tim Curry for the part, they replaced it. And we know Mark Hamill's voice. Usually you can tell when a voice actor is you know, they they whether it's Paul Freeze or a Dawes Butler or June Ferre. for the life of me I don't hear Mark Hamill there. And um in in and maybe the ultimate version of his joker um, the the spin-off series Batman Beyond they did a film Batman Beyond the Return of the Joker I really oh recommend it God. to anyone Fantastic. in cultum it is really hard to watch it is important to the Batman legend it totally reevaluates the relationship of Batman and Robin and the Joker And Harley Quinn is in it, who is a great, great character. And thanks to the animated series for creating her, uh, the the Joker's love, um, who is now part of the Batman canon forever, I I really, really recommend that. But um, I could go on. Let 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 me turn it back to Colton on these, but those are some of my favourites.
3: Thank you, Ken. No, I really enjoyed that. Uh, um, Davros puts uh, Michael Keaton uh, was number one in my book. I think that's what he's referencing. Uh, I'm hoping that Mike will be able to make it back on audio. Uh, I also don't think really Darth has had his talk really. He was helping us out with that uh, description before, but we haven't really asked him what his favourites are. But before you got talking about Batman, uh, you mentioned the Godfather, and we talked about that being... Uh, up there with some of the best so I'll play a little bit of the Godfather theme and then I'll just check with Darth if if he wants to come back on some of his choices Uh, you didn't really get to talk about some of your own choices. Do you want to come back in? All right, then. Um,
0: well, yeah, I mean, as should be obvious by my name, Star Wars would be my favorite franchise of all time. Um, and I've talked at length about that on this show on other occasions, so I don't really want to go into that. Obviously, big James Bond fan as well, and um Star Trek. Um, As well Thing is though uh, We haven't talked about Some things that um, Perhaps deserve a little bit of highlight And I would probably put The front of that list Um, The Pink Panther Franchise Um, It's one that is Has attempted a a revival Of late but uh, that revival hasn't worked But if you look at the Original Pink Panther films, um, they are fairly extraordinary. Um, And most of those uh, first, what, five or six, the ones that have Peter Sellers in them, generally got really good reviews. Um, And in that sort of vein, I suppose I would say Austin Powers is a favorite of mine as well. Um, But again, these are sort of comedy franchises. Comedy franchises don't, uh, by their very nature, uh, crossover well beyond the language of the um, original publication. So, you know, both in terms of Awesome Powers and in the Panther, there's not that much difference between the um, domestic United States gross and the and the the worldwide gross. Um, so, therefore, they're not at the top of the list, but they're still you know in the top fifty of franchises. Um I don't know uh the one thing that we're we've danced around and haven't really talked about maybe because the cult of people who come into the cult of the collective aren't really comic book fans per se generally um is the Avengers movie and or what we might call the Avengers franchise um and of course you know Iron Man. Um Thor, the um Incredible Hulk. Um, these are all in a sense they're franchises on their own, but they are part of the larger um Marvel franchise. Um and they are tied together narratively by uh, clips that have occurred at the end of the, the credit sequences. So and then, then, then by the Avengers movie itself. Um so that is Really, if you look at it that way, that franchise is by far the biggest grossing, even in terms of adjusted dollars, Um, mainly because it's such a loose confederation of films, but also because each one of the individual constituent parts has had, um, well, almost each one of the individual characters have had their own um, multi-film franchise. So when you put it all together, you're talking, I don't know, at least six films, I guess, um, but maybe a little bit larger. And I also like, you know, Batman's an interesting one because I don't, I, I, as I've said many times before on the show, I don't really like the character of Batman. But if you can separate out the Nolan franchise from the rest of it, one we might call the Dark Knight franchise from the Batman franchise, um then I would have to say That actually That trilogy of films Is probably the best trilogy Ever put on screen I think it's better Than the Godfather trilogy I think it, it's more tightly written and, and it's more extraordinary For the fact that um, It is not a strict adaptation Of anything You know Godfather You might think of as great Because it was written by Sort of a singular voice Um Whereas, and it was also sort of written more, at least initially, it was written more as a literary thing than as a film thing. Um, whereas the, the Nolan Batman franchise is, you know, a screen-only trilogy. And I've got kind of a uh, a big place in my heart for people who can make a trilogy of movies work. Because it's, again, I think it's pretty easy, comparatively, to have a trilogy of Books work, like say the Lord of the Rings franchise, and then to do an adaptation of those books. You know, that that offers varying levels of complexity, but generally that's easier, I think, than the framework to just. Is there, isn't it? The, the framework, are, yeah, the bones are there, and usually the bones are pretty good, or else you wouldn't have bothered buying the rights. Can
4: um, I
6: get yours to take on something?
4: Mm. Sure.
6: Oh. The reason. Dark Knight Rises didn't get an Oscar nom is because the Oscars are trying to send a message that reality bites deal with it. So that's why we're seeing things like Zero Dark Thirty and Django Unchained. Do you think that's fair that the Oscars are sending political messages?
3: Well, they've always had an agenda, I would have thought, whether it's political or not would
0: have me. I'm not sure where you're getting this assertion. Is this something you're making up in your own mind or have you got some sort of evidence that you um, have actually done a nomination of this kind?
6: Um, It's been on several news articles. I heard it through SourceFed, which is a pretty reputable source. I've looked at the source material, I can't remember the website, oh, right off the top of my head, but I just wondered your thoughts on that.
0: I don't have any great thoughts other than it it did deserve a nomination, I think. Um, but, I mean,
3: the I totally to enjoyed it. it. I was very surprised yeah. of it. It was a, a great ending to the trilogy. I thought, the way they tied so much stuff up, and Gary Oldman, of course, was the thread that bound it to me as as much as anybody else.
0: Sure, um, I, I don't. The, the Oscars are very finicky, and very weird. Usually, they will only. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, I keep. I think it's probably from you, Ko, but I keep hearing myself in my own head.
3: Yeah, I think um, it's. Uh, but, I think it's Kovo.
0: But at any rate, the uh, the Oscars tend to. Only honor one film in a franchise. Um, that's why. I, I mean, I think. I think if you're going to allege some sort of vote rigging in this case, then you know you can't take so much pride in, say, Return of the Kings, because Return of the King was probably an Oscar for the entire trilogy and not just that one film. Um, and, I, and I think too, you know, you look at Star Wars trilogy. Does it make any sense that Star Wars Got the uh, Best Picture nomination As opposed to Empire Strikes Back No, I don't think so But I think that the Academy probably felt like They couldn't give Empire uh, The same nomination as it gave Star Wars Because it had already given it to Star Wars So there's, uh, th- there's a sense in which The it, Franchises are At a particular disadvantage In the Oscars, whereas it's, it's possible For a director To Get nominated four, five, six times like, say, Woody Allen or whatever or, or Steven Spielberg um, because, you know, they're not sticking with one franchise. And this is one of the things with George Lucas is, you know, I think he did, I can't quite remember off the top of my head, I think he did get a Best Director nomination for Star Wars, but then never again. And, you know, I, I'm not sure how fair that is. I think that his actual direction is better on... Revenge of the Sith, really, than it is on Star Wars. Um,
4: and
6: how many best director nods did, like, Spielberg get, for example?
0: A ton. But that's my point, is that, you know, if you got a director who doesn't necessarily stick in franchise... I mean, yes, we know that he has some franchise work under his belt. I mean, obviously, Indiana Jones is a franchise that he stuck with. But by and large, he has gone from one project to another, um, and because of that, that, I think that puts them at a better place for the Oscars, because I think that they tend to, again, just um, ig- ignore or, I don't I don't know what the right word is. They feel like they can, it, by giving a nomination for one film in a series, they are basically saying, all right, this is our blessing for the entire series. And, and I don't think that they necessarily pick the best film out of a series to do that. Uh, they just pick one of them, and there you go.
6: I'll self mute unless we got something to say.
0: Okay. Um, so anyway, I don't know where we were, but the uh, Pink Panther, awesome powers, uh, the event Avengers, um, and uh, you know, this is a, I, I'd also throw in the Jack Ryan franchise, and I know it's it's that franchise is kind of a mess because it's. Um, you know, the same, you've got three different people playing the title character, and yet it's it's not like 20 films like the Bond uh, series, where that's a little bit more acceptable. You have sort of generational bonds there. Uh, whereas with the Jack Ryan series, it's like, you know, within a space of a few years, you've got three different people playing Jack Ryan.
4: But I, I think that that
0: series has done a pretty good job by and large not not entirely but a pretty good job of adapting books and I also really like that series just because it's it's you know Jack Ryan is in a lot of ways the american james Bond, and you know
4: even though it 's only yeah.
0: one of the four films, I really, really like the Alec Baldwin interpretation of what a a an actual intelligence worker would be like. Uh, and this is something that's in the books, you know, the the, the nature or uh, the notion that Jack Ryan is not prepared to be a James Bond. He's, you know, he is a, a statistician. He's a guy who's working in a cubicle at the CIA. And then he's suddenly thrust into um, field work. And I think that Alec Baldwin does the best job of that, the best job of being, the, you know, a good civil servant, you know. <laughs> And it's a fascinating take on thing, and it's a real counterpoint to the James Bond series. And I, um, even though I think Harrison Ford was kind of the wrong person to choose to succeed in that series, those series are still good because it's, it's 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 it is an anti James Bond that is still serious and is still something worth looking at. And you know, as an adaptation of books, I think that that series is. Better than the Bond series because the Bond series is, with a few exceptions, really disappointing when it comes to translating the books, and it makes it it divides the fandom in the sense that, you know, you have people who are James Bond book purists, and you have people who are movie purists, and you have a few people who are kind of in between, don't really care, and it, it makes it difficult in a way to be a James Bond fan because there are real differences and distinctions between um the the products that had the james Bond logo on them whereas i think with the um the tom clancy series the jack ryan series there you really are talking about um pretty faithful adaptations and you know if you say hunt for red october for instance and and you go to see hunt for red october you can basically describe what the book is. Not in every detail, because Tom Clancy writes huge novels. Um, but the basic plot outlines of, of uh, Hunt for Red October is in the movie, and that's, that's something that you really don't get from almost every James Bond film, except for Casino Royale. Casino Royale, that's, you could watch that and you could feel like, oh, I basically know what the story of the book is. But... Um, the Jack Ryan series is great because it, it, um, it doesn't divide the Tom Clancy fandom. And uh, the other thing that's great about it is it kind of plays okay outside the U.S., uh, which is unusual for uh, films that have to do with the operations of the United States government. Um, I don't know if that's because of Harrison Ford, maybe uh but for whatever reason Jack Ryan series has always done pretty well outside the US and isn't viewed in the way that say like f- most recently zero dark, dark 30 um you know has struggled in some parts of the world but uh i don't know i guess that's about it that i can think of of, of franchise oh i can say things i really don't like I hate the Mission Impossible franchise. Every iteration of it, I really hate it. As soon as they killed off Phelps, I was like, "This is not Mission Impossible. I am out of here." Darth, um, thank you. Uh,
1: just ridiculous. <laughs> I hated it that ridiculous. so much for that reason.
0: <laughs> I mean, totally. Just that is the way to kill your franchise. And I mean, I guess they felt like they could do that because it had been so long since Mission Impossible had been on the air. But, I mean, come on. That, that's just, that is just so stupid. That is like, say, that is like having a Star Trek movie uh, about a defector and that defector turning out to be McCoy.
4: Hmm.
0: Uh, no, <laughs> you will not make anybody happy with that. I also hate Jurassic Park as a franchise. I think that is something that should have been one book and one movie and done. I think that's milking things um transformers clearly is horrible uh and i think it says something when you look at the balance between domestic and international there you know with it being really heavily in favor of international uh that you come to realize maybe the actual english words aren't that great um i also to kind of think i have respect for pirates of the caribbean because i just don't it boggles my mind still that they made a multi-billion-dollar franchise out of a ride at Disney World yeah. that I loved. By the way, I love the ride. Um, but Chronicles of Narnia
3: is that one of your favorites? Wait,
0: wait, hold on. But but oh, I, I will. You, the weird thing oh. about Pirates of the Caribbean is like, film one is really good, film two is okay. The latest film, oh my god, it was horrible. It was one of the most disappointing uh, uses of money that I made. That one or I don't even remember what the subtitle is, but it's number four. Um uh, you know, the um Chronicles of Narnia is an interesting one. I don't I don't know that it, it it's actually one of the, our top grocers here necessarily. I mean it might be, but I don't think it is. Um It's
3: uh, Beats uh, Born Identity, uh, uh, just below Rocky. Um and it's um it's over the one billion mark uh, worldwide.
4: But that's
0: constant dollar. I think I'm looking at a. I think yeah, I'm this looking is the a,
3: um, the, the numbers dot com one. Yeah. It's I mean it's, it's not constant dollars. It's just
0: uh, unadjusted, right? Cause I think but I'm unadjusted. At, unadjusted yeah, because yeah. I think I'm I'm it's looking anybody, at an adjusted uh, list
6: and it's not there. Heard the um heard of the oh my gosh the, the franchise name just popped into my head um the author's name is Vin Flynn it's the um Mitch Rapp series. Has anybody heard of that book series? Nope. I don't think it'll ever get made into a movie because um James Bond and um Tom Clancy have a lock on the spy genre, but it's clearly better written and I'd love to see this made into a movie a franchise and I just don't think Hollywood wants another spy shot
3: right uh, just going back to your list uh, Chronicles of Narnia is listed just below Rocky and the Mummy um, at f- $337 uh, million
0: well and the interesting thing about the the Narnia franchise and I think it's been a pretty good one uh and I really hope that somehow they make it to the end of it. I don't think now that they will, but there was a time where it looked like they actually were going to do it. Yeah, all. it did. Um, but the interesting thing there is, that there's a if you look at Prince Caspian. i have always really liked that film because it it does something pretty similar to what's done in um, Lord of the Rings. We we heard before how one of the improvements of Lord of the Rings movie is the story of Aragon, Aragorn and certainly the story of Arwen um, and how, you know, some actual genu- genuine character development was built into the film in a way that it didn't exist in the book. And Prince Caspian is pretty much the same way. Prince Caspian, you know, features kind, a very weird sort of battle at the end um, in, in the book that doesn't really make a lot of sense it's really hard to it's not well described i, w- I guess i would say um, whereas if you look at what is done in the film it actually deliberately breaks with the book but it makes for a much better and clearer picture of what's going on and yet it is still faithful to the essential underlying truths of of what are the themes i guess of uh the Narnia series, and it's really well done. And I, I, I would, although Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is always the, the story that gets the most attention, mainly because for some reason nobody can ever make it to the end of that whole uh, series. Um, I, I kind of think that the the movie of Prince Caspian is better than the movie of Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. Um, certainly it's the one that I, I turn to more often when I'm, I'm thinking about watching a, a Narnia movie. Um, so it, it is sad to me that, that that franchise looked like it was going to go forward and now appears probably dead. Probably and
3: swamped by Harry Potter, do you not think? I mean, the children's, uh, with uh, obviously here in the UK, the Harry Potter franchise has been uh, listed as, uh, you know, rescuing, uh, uh, putting books back in the hands of children, whether they read the books prior to the movies or read them contemporaneously with them, uh, and maybe there just wasn't enough for both these two series to 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 run, you know, consecutive run. What's the word? Contiguously. Yeah, I, I
0: think no. I think that the 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 real problem there wasn't competition necessarily because it was still making good money. I mean, you know, the, the first film. Itself is it's gotten. I mean, I think altogether there, one and a half billion. I mean, so it's not like it's it's money problems. It's more that it's uh, sort of rights problem, um, and who's making it? Because I think what happened is Walt Disney um, pulled out. Is what happened. And yeah, so, yeah,
3: criticals down I'm just reading here on the hmm. wiki page, seven hundred forty-five million. Uh, just below Amazing Spider-Man, and bef- um, you know, not much below Star Wars. That's on the that Wikipedia crow gr- theme. Yeah, I mean the real
0: the real problem is that it's the thing that happened to. Um, well, I mean, Disney pulled out after the second film, and then as the distributor, really, and the um, uh, they were replaced by 20th Century Fox, which clearly is not as. Um, successful a uh, company. I mean, it's not as solvent necessarily as Disney is, and so therefore, now the question is, you know, for 20th Century Fox, how successful is this film? You know, what am I trying to say? If it were Disney doing it, they would see the profits that that Boys with Drawn Treader made as perfectly acceptable. I mean, they would always want more, but they would still be able to carry it and say, all right. You know that's still making good money. We can still go forward with it. No big deal. But um, for 20th Century Fox, they're going to be more sensitive to the, um, the the profits that are being made, and they might say, well, you know, the first one did at 750, and then the it's 750 from the next two combined. So obviously, the you know they lost 50 percent of what the first one made. So does that mean that if we go into the fourth one, are we going to drop even further than that? You know, so they have a more complicated question uh, to sort of solve. And um, I think it makes it more difficult for them than it would be if it were still in Disney's hands. I think that's the real thing is just that Disney is out of it, and that makes it harder. And, And also, you know, obviously, you know, the actual producer of it is Walden. And, you know, Walden is this, you know, avowedly Christian production company. And I think that they are a better fit at Disney, or with Disney as their partner, than with 20th Century Fox. Um, so they might, there might be some friction there between the actual people involved. I don't know. That's total speculation. But, you know, there, there's a reason Walden would have chosen Disney over 20th Century Fox to begin with. So.
6: Are we surprised the Dark Materials didn't make it?
3: The what? Oh, materials. Oh, like materials. the
6: go- the Golden Compass I'm saying that oh. could have been franchise to Revel Harry Potter.
0: Well, I mean that is you know, the Golden Compass and all that, that might be specifically anti Narnia, right? I mean that is Right. an explicit reaction against C. S. Lewis. And... Um,
3: I just found some figures for you, Darth. Worldwide, mm. um, adjusted for inflation. Um, oh, hang on, uh, the Chronicles of Narnia, three hundred. Hang on, that's uh, the let's go to the worldwide one. Chronicles of Narnia, seven hundred forty-five million. Prince Caspian, four hundred ninety million. The Voyage of the Dawn Shreda, uh four hundred fifteen. So destabilized a little bit with the second two.
0: Right, I mean but but again, if you're 20th Century Fox, you're a smaller studio and you're going to be doing maybe some calculation there saying do I believe that we, if we get into the material that is more esoteric because you know, once you leave Voices of Don Treader and get into Silver Chair and the other things um, and especially as you get into The Magician's Nephew, you're moving into very um it's like moving from Lord of the Rings to the Silmarillion, right? You're moving yeah, into right. the, the, the creation <laughs> yeah. myth of that universe yeah. and everything. Do, I, do you really believe that that material is going to hold the same no. level of interest as the rest of it? And and the answer is probably no. And that's, and that's why even the BBC, when they did the adaptation, they only got as far as the silver chair. Um, it's just really difficult. But one would, you know... With all the movie making technology that we have today, one would think that you could finally do The Magician's Nephew and make it something interesting and weird and freaky. And, you know, if you already had, you know, a billion five in the bank, could you afford to have a film that only reached out to, you know, $150 million worth of people? Could you do that? Maybe. But that's not how calculations are done obviously Hollywood wants every single picture to make as much money as it can possibly make
3: yeah as an educational remit it
0: might right yeah I mean if this were the BBC you might say okay yes we might be able to get the mill in there and try something Um, but it's not so Um, but uh, I mean I think it's a good attempt so far I think that the story that the film so far in that franchise have been reasonable And it's, it's good to see that it's made as much as a billion five. Um, and that, that is, I think that's a bigger number than twilight, I think. Uh, so that's kind of good, but yeah, I don't know. The, The other thing that's weird about, you know, franchises is we see in the Avengers phenomenon and that is how do you calculate the franchise? You know, is it just Iron Man or is it Iron Man within the Avengers? Um, and the same thing is true on the DC side, too, because do you say, well, like we said with the Batman thing, is it all of the Batman movies, is it all, what would it be, eight of them? Because you'd have to throw in the, um, what is it, Batman 66. The uh, Adam West is the first, is Batman 1, and you'd have to count this latest one as Batman 8, I guess. You know, is it done that way? Because I think that is how a lot of sites look at it. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's how Box Office Mojo says. Is you know, the Batman franchise extends from Adam West all the way through the you know the Christopher Nolan stuff. Um, or do you you know pick it apart and say it's you know, you got stuff by Tim Burton and then you have got stuff by Joel Schumacher and then you got stuff by Christopher Nolan. And then you know, is Superman distinct from that? Is um, Green Lantern distinct from that? And I think a lot of people break it up that way but i i i don't know i i tend myself to say the franchises are dc and marvel done and anything that happens within that franchise you know so swamp thing that's a part of dc uh you know catwoman (laughs) that's a part of dc too uh daredevil Electra that's marvel x men that's Marvel, you know, and so I tend to look at it like that, and you know unfortunately, I think when you look at it like that the the numbers tend to run more for Marvel than they do for um d c and and you know the Marvel movie franchise is ah uh, jeez, it must be six billion five billion six billion somewhere in there, and so it becomes the biggest thing it becomes bigger than james bond and it becomes bigger than star wars at least for right now i think star wars has the well i don't know they're continuing to make marvel films but something in me says that star wars has the potential to be still bigger just with nine films has potential to be bigger than um the marvel franchise and certainly you know another metric that we haven't even talked about is yes there's you know domestic U.S. gross, there's international gross, uh, and then there's adjusted for inflation grosses. But then the other really important metric is you know, how much per picture are you making? And when you start doing that, then James Bond falls really far behind. And Star Wars goes really far up. And Harry Potter goes a little bit behind. Um, so I think that that's a metric that we should maybe think about and look at too.
3: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that, I mean, I, 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 it's a long time since I read comics and maybe many of our listeners don't because I mean, um, but I mean, for instance, I I think the next film out is um, Iron Man three, isn't it? That's the next one uh, from the comic world. But I mean, I don't know what other franchises that that have not even yet been explored uh, are, are brought to movies yet. I mean, I don't know whether we'll ever see things like The Flash uh, back on the cinema screens. Well, or they're talking about the
1: proposed justice League movie. All right.
3: They've been talking okay. about
1: yeah. that.
0: Yeah.
1: And with Marvel, they're going to be having the next Thor movie. And they're going to uh gearing up for the next Avengers. This is like Marvel Phase 2 uh, right. that, that they'll be doing. Something interesting, uh, back to Jack Ryan for a sec, Darth, that they, Christmas, they're having the big revamp of the whole Jack Ryan franchise with Kenneth Branagh directing. We're having Chris Pine uh, going to be Jack Ryan, and um, we're going to be having uh, Kevin Costner is his boss, and Kieran Knightley is going to be in it, and Kenneth Branagh also, I think, is uh, playing a villain in the film, so he's doing double hats. That's why he's not doing the next Thor film, because he's opted to now uh, direct the uh, Jack Ryan franchise. So that's That's going to be coming out in uh, December.
0: Yeah, that one's been coming for a long time. I don't know why it's taken so long for that one to see the light of day but yeah Uh,
3: let me play a theme and uh, then ask people is this franchise dead I'll listen to it all the way through I just love that theme Superman for those who are initiated is that franchise dead guys does anybody know anything on that
1: line not at all Man of Steel is going to be coming out next year
2: it's, it's not dead but um, since the last Superman movie I care a lot less about the franchise so much so that I'm not okay. really worried about the next movie at all um,
3: yeah. Uh, j- just looking at the time, Darth, is there anything else you're uh, uh, eager to, to to bring in on your section? Because uh, we may want to go to Ian and myself and then finish on the three-hour mark.
0: No. I, I If you're going to ask about Superman, I just feel obliged to say a little something. And that is, uh, you know, it's, um, it's kind of dead. I mean, let's say this is a last last-ditch effort. You'd have to say and then they may hit it out of the ballpark, and that'd be fine if they did. Um, but remember, and I know we've talked about this on on this podcast before. Remember, this is w- what they've had to do in order to keep the the rights to use Superman in the movie theaters. Because if they if they don't do this um, thing by and it has, you know, it's it's this year that it's being released. It's gotta be this year. Um if they don't do it by this year, then D C loses the rights to use Superman and so this is definitely sort of a tense time for D C because it's it there is this possibility. There is a scenario by which D C could become divorced of Superman. Um and it, that just would be Mind-blowing to think of the DC universe without Superman. It's 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 it really I don't you know I don't know how much you know about DC comics, but it is not just that Superman is a part of the DC universe. Superman is the DC universe. Yeah. He is yeah. he is the rock-solid center of that universe. And no matter what title you pick up at some point or another, even if you're in the recesses, even if you're in like something like. Gotham City. What was it the, the the comic that was just about the Gotham City Police Department. At some point in there, they're going to mention Superman. You know, I mean, he is fundamental to that universe. So there's a lot writing on this film from DC's perspective. Whether it be a good, the, the, the trailers are pretty interesting. I got to say, the trailers are fascinating. Uh, they but, look really good. Uh, but you yeah. know, the thing that that, that yeah. saddens my heart is here we go again. How many times are we going to tell this origin story? Oh
3: no, they're not the origin. Oh yeah,
0: they are. No, it is another origin story. Um, uh, it's more than that. It's much. It's closer to the, um, I guess you'd call it the. It's more to the Superman one, in which you know a part of the film is origin story, and then they get in. You know, he goes to Metropolis and gets involved in working for the Daily Planet, and there you go. Um, but still. You know, you are going back to Krypton in this one, um, which kind of is sad. But still, that's there, I mean, there with, is a lot riding on Man of Steel.
3: I mean, with Smallville coming in you know at series ten, I mean it seems. I mean, I, I mean, I know there's some people that don't necessarily don't necessarily think a TV actor can carry uh, a movie. But I mean, with to me the the, the way that. Smallville was I thought so successful I know and I agree with you Darth it, it may be lost its way a little bit in series 7 and 8 but um, I, I stay with it all 10 series and mm. uh, anyway um, mm. then, yeah. let, let, let's give Ian his say because the poor guy has been waiting in the wings and I have to play this to introduce Ian mm-hmm. It there, you're for five. Name that tune. <laughs> uh,
2: well, the one I was conducting at the end, <laughs> I seriously was. Actually, I love it. Um, yeah, of course, we start off with my all time favorite of all time. All time. Um, wow, so let's say, we drove Darthway.
4: <laughs>
2: um, yeah, this I don't care whether it's a good movie, a good movie series. I love it. Um, it's continued to be my favorite, uh, most watched movies of you know, of uh, my entire life. Uh, I remember going to see the original in the theater and taking friends to it, calling up people, like, hey, want to go to the movies? Yeah, yeah, what do you want to see? Well, have you seen that new, new movie Back to the Future? I don't know. Well, why don't we go see that one? <laughs> I seriously took like three People to see that movie individually, just so I could go and watch it again. And yeah, at that time I'd I'd never done that with a movie. I'd seen a movie in a the movie theater, and that was it. You know, apart from Wizard of Oz. But, hey, it's another story. Um, but I couldn't really tell you why it's successful, why it's it's fantastic. Uh, my my money's on uh, the pairing of Michael J. Fox and Christopher Lloyd. Uh, the two of them together really kind of make this. Uh, I mean, the story, I think, is I – mean, I want to say it's kind of a simple story, really, when you think about it. its yeah, uh, We've had this kind of time travel discussion before in time travel movies where you know, somebody goes back and they fix something, but they they break it first, and then they're going to fix it again. Yeah. But there was a certain – there were certain elements that fell into place in this movie. Uh, the first two things, of course, were uh, the casting. Um, which went through some turmoil at the beginning, but you know, um, Michael J. Fox, you know, made it through the the hectic uh, filming of, uh, of Back to the Future while doing Family Ties and you know, filming lot of stuff at night. Um,
3: the film didn't they film the second, the second two and three together at the same time. Yeah, two and three
2: were done back to back. Yeah,
3: back to back. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, the, the 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 third thing was was the DeLorean. To be honest. Um, the, the the whole thing about putting you know a time travel machine on wheels and and making it this this uh, this rare car um, it was you know it, it was pure genius really it's one of those times where I think uh, these separate elements probably would not have worked in uh, any other way except for in this movie the
3: way they were Yeah, all thrown together. So to
6: be fair, the Delorean was cutting edge at the time.
3: No, it was about Mm ten years out of date, I think.
4: Yeah,
2: it
6: was. It
3: was a failed car. Yeah. The Goldwing made it now. Yeah, yeah, the Goldwing
2: continued on, but yeah, but then the Delorean was really out of business, and probably snorting coke. (laughs) Uh,
3: (laughs) There was one a guy on our street had one. I thought thought it was Mm -hmm. fantastic when I first saw one in the flesh.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Um, but yeah, I'll, oh, of course, the third thing is Leah Thompson. Um, smitten. smitten, I was, uh, and I've really kind of got kind of to hand it to you know, um, putting all of those things together is, is has really made it. The music, I think, too. Um, not many soundtracks do I listen to. Uh, this one, I've, I've got all, all three of them. And can actually sit there and and, and listen and, and imagine bits of the film. And
4: quote and like I said,
2: I was I was I was sitting here, um, conducting uh, <laughs> the the music as as it played, and I know all the little intonations and <laughs> because it just to me it's, it's one of those things that's, that that is the movie. Um, Have you played yeah. the
6: games Ian?
2: No, I haven't yet. I'm going to though. I keep meaning to get them, and they're on Steam now, I think, and. Um, I, I really do want to. Um,
6: Their friend. The other,
2: the other thing that, that, that really disappoints me is I never got a chance to get to Universal um, before they um, took out the the ride. Um, I really <sighs> want to go on that ride. My parents actually went on it um, when I was living up in Minnesota. They, they, um, they got to go on it, and I was bummed. Uh, my wife has bought me uh actually when i when i came to america the first time to meet megan um after we dated for uh, seven months um i bought back uh the box set of back to the future uh, they didn't have it and then uh not long after we got married uh, they bought them out on dvd uh, my wife bought them um uh full frame i hmm. Um which she's been paying for ever since. Um, and then, of course, uh, I think like two years ago when my parents were here, uh, my parents bought me a, a Blu-ray player, and my wife bought me Back to the Future on Blu-ray. So, yeah.
3: <laughs> so you like it?
2: Yes, and right above me um, is actually the uh, 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 die-cast metal, uh, DeLorean model. Um,
3: oh, no, 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 that's nothing. Read out to our listeners what Mike has put in text
2: please uh a friend at uni has a delorean uh he lived in the same residential hall as me so i'd usually see his delorean out in the parking lot and uh, walk into class and eventually there was a second guy at uni with one another us <laughs> knew the guy and uh, we joked about how it required an, uh, a duel to the death two owners at one uni
3: <laughs> brilliant thanks
2: <laughs> yep um Let's see. I've got to think of some other things that I like now. <laughs> I've gone on about this one long enough. Of course there's the usual stuff. I I love I uh, love the um the original trilogy of Star Wars. The, 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 the other three movies are fine. Um the <laughs> the original trilogy is my um uh what I watch when I'm uh, at homesick. If, if you know, I'm too sick to go to work. Uh the first thing I reach for Oddly enough it's not Back to the Future, it's Star Wars and I don't know why. There's there's something about that you can just kinda of put it on and curl up in bed and I don't know. It's it's really kinda of neat. Um I'm just not that big into the other movies. That's why I'm not I guess I'm not concerned about what happens in the future with the Star Wars franchise because I don't think they could do any worse than, than the other one movies. Uh, I just you know, there were some there were some things that just missed. Um and I'm not talking Jarder Jar Binks. Um I don't have a problem with Jar Jar actually. I mean Jar Jar is basically the Ewoks.
4: Um, what?
2: Jar Jar's just the Ewoks. I mean the uh, Ewoks small for really cuddly. Yeah, fun. Um he's not
6: Ewoks, come on. The Ewoks were cool. Jar Jar was an idiot.
1: There are people that love Jar Jar B.
2: Let them love Jar Jar. And Jar Jar wasn't the problem with those movies. No. Um hating Christianism was the problem with the <laughs> Oh, how can we forget emo Darth Vader? No. Um, yeah, I I don't. I don't blame Hayden Christensen for that. I blame the casting of him, and the, they just did not have the forethought. I think they should have really had him in the second movie, and then recast for the third movie with a much, I think, a more mature uh, actor um, in look and sound and everything to, to really kind of. Make it all work, um, but anyway. Uh, next, let's see what else is there. Um, I'm a big fan of the Lord of the Rings um, movies. Of course, you know, Hobbit's coming. Well, Hobbit's out, but I got to wait for the Blu-ray. Um, but for me, it's it's more on a personal level um, because it's it's you know my country, my country on the big screen, and lots of it. Um, and of course, a little bit of anger within me that I left uh, New Zealand right before they started in on you know the, the Lord of the Rings movies. And being an actor, it's like man, I could have been a hobbit. I'm tall enough, uh, <laughs> but you know, it's one of those, you know you think well, all those extras, I could have been in it. Not that I'm not, um, you know not that I want to break into movies, but it just would be cool to be part of something like that, just to be you know that guy in the background. Hey, those are really fuzzy feet um and um let's see yeah, x-men movies I, I i really quite enjoy uh even 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 the third one uh but now that they've kind of rebooted that that's that's uh it's given me hope and of course this uh the, the new movie that I just announced was the days of future past that they're going to do uh, that is so exciting and singers returning to the the fold so um uh, that that, that I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing. Uh, Spider-Man. Uh, I mean, I was a big Spider-Man fan growing up as a kid, uh, and uh, I remember seeing... Um, I'm not sure if it was a TV movie or whatever, but they showed it on the big screen in New Zealand, uh, um, or whether it was a TV series that they'd cut together. But they showed it on the big screen, so it was a movie to me, uh, something from back in, like, the 70s. Um fantastic. fantastic. Um, and I loved... Probably the first two um, movies and then the third one I think I'm only blaming on the studios, basically. Uh, I don't think that Raimi is to blame for that. I think there were certain things that they wanted that he did not want, and uh, at the end of the day, um, the studio wins out. You know, the studio gets its day um, because they've got the money. the Batman movies, I have a love-hate relationship with. Um, I loved the first two. Um, loved uh, Michael Keaton as Batman. All the other guys after that, including the new one, um, just aren't Batman to me. I mean, I, I, it was so funny when I heard the Michael Keaton I was like, that short guy, from, the guy from um, Beetlejuice?
4: Ooh, yeah, yeah.
2: Okay. Batman, Really? Everybody was saying he's too short. Like, I thought it was fantastic. Not in Kevin Conroy. If if somebody somebody writes something that says at the bottom, you know, this quote by Batman, I hear it in Kevin Conroy's voice. Uh, if I hear Kevin Conroy reading it. Um, that's the voice of Batman in the same way that Mark Hamill is, is the Joker. And it's so sad that he's retired. Um, but, I mean, I, I understand at some point you've just got to step off and say I've yeah, that's my body of work. It's over there. Enjoy. Um But yeah. Um they just steadily went downhill. Uh, I liked the kind of darker take. Uh uh loved Michelle Pfeiffer in that cat suit. I mean hello <laughs> 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 Um and, and but after that it was just you know, Bel Kelmer and then and then um what's his name? Uh, from e r Um yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. but it's, oh it's it was just too yeah. I mean it started actually becoming um the Batman Batman and Robot it became became like the T V series, except with better special effects. Um I mean it really started kind of parodying
1: itself. But embarrassingly so, the T V at least was kind of fun.
2: Yeah, it was it was it was what's the word for it? Um Camp. Camp. Camp and knew it was camp, you know. It was it knew that it you know it had no delusions of being a uh, you know an action series, you know. Um, then I loved that growing up too. We used to watch that every Friday night. Um, but yeah, uh, after after uh, Michael King was out of it, I just kind of lost interest.
4: Um,
2: although I do do have a fondness for the Holy Metal Island Batman what was that? It's a big metal island full of holes. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) It was that one referential line and I was like, you know what, that's kind of funny. Um, Indiana Jones, uh, loved except for the last one, just didn't gel so well with me. I don't know know whether it's a passage of time too that's, I think when the original ones were made, there was a certain point of time that they were coming out that, that those kind of movies were in vogue again, and there was a certain. Um, it was more about the adventure rather than the action, and I think that the last movie focused more on the action than the adventure. Uh, you know, we had the exploration and the, uh, you know, um, figuring things out. It just seemed to be too action related, and of course, you know, nobody can forgive the fridge. Uh, really, we can't. <laughs> That's just, you know, you're supposed to suspend, you know, reality and some things, but that was a little too far. Um I'm trying to think of things that haven't been mentioned. In, um, oh, I have to touch on Mission Impossible. I like, I like number three. I like number one up until the point that they – it's not the fact that they killed him. It's the fact that they made him the bad guy, and that's what really stunk. It would have been far better to me if they had made somebody else the bad guy and um, Mr. Phelps got killed off while saving Tom Cruise's character. Uh, that would have made more sense and it would be kind of handing the, the, the mantle on to, you know, the new Mr. Phelps, which, you know, uh, but to, it, it just kind of sullied the whole memory I had of the TV series that, oh, you know, at the end of this whole thing, he turns bad, you know. He makes it all about him.
4: Eh, it's just...
2: But, you know, and the the second movie was just awful. Um, Slow-mo um, motorcycle people flinging themselves each other. was just kind of dumb. The third one I liked, and the uh, fourth one, that's Ghost Protocol, right?
4: Mm, yeah.
2: Yeah. thank think um, so. I, it's on Netflix, and I, I've got that in my my queue to watch. Mainly because it's got Simon Pegg in it, <laughs> and he was good in the second, in the third one. Um, like team him in there. Uh, James Bond Guys, of course. It's it's always good to sit down and watch a Bond movie. You can watch those things over and over again. To be honest, um, yeah, kind of uh, die hard. I love the die hard movies. Uh, what do you oh, think yeah. the fourth one that got a little bit. Die
3: hard with the
2: vengeance was that? Uh, no, that was three, I think. Yeah. Die another day? Was it? No, that's the next one, isn't it? I don't know.
3: But anyway, yeah, that
2: one was was kind of um, yeah, it took it took it stretched reality a bit too far with some of the stuff. I think the, die, I think oh, the truck yeah. thing, yeah, where they were um, firing missiles uh, yeah. and stuff, and as he goes yeah. down. The, it's uh, it was just a little too much for me. Um, the National Treasure movies I like. They're kind of to me that was in the vein. That's that's how Indiana Jones 4 should have been. Um, more about the hunting down of this thing and the, the the you know the adventure part. I like that. I like things like the Goonies and National Treasure and uh, they made some Alan Quatermain movies too, way back in like the, the late 80s, early 90s. And I, I like that. You know, they find the, the the tomb and they're searching through and there's a you know. Booby traps and and, and um, puzzles to figure out. That's 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 what they're about. Um, let's see. Uh, oh, Men in Black. I have to agree with with um, with Jeff on that one. The 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 third movie was uh, definitely brought the 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 level of that franchise back up to a, a really decent uh, level. I think. Two kind of repeated three to to my mind as far as storyline goes, hidden object blah blah blah, um, turns out to be something that you didn't expect. We kind of just had a bit of a rehash, and uh, Metallica like three they they put a little more thought into and and some some nice thought, uh, and and it was fun again. Um, I do like the whole uh, Avengers uh movie like Dr. Saying if you roll those all them together. Um huge fan of those. Um but also separately I'm a, a big fan of the Iron Man movies. Um and I don't think it's because I like Iron Man necessarily. <laughs> it's um, uh, the, the it's it's the dialogue more than anything else that uh Robert Downey Jr. I think is just I he was Made to play that role. That it, it's it's him, you know. Uh, he's the the one that really kind of makes that whole thing work, and I think it's what brings me into the that movie, um, rather than the whole encompassing, you know, you know, uh, Avengers movies. Um, but I do enjoy them, and I, but I enjoy Iron Man even more because I just think he's perfect for the part. Um, Star Trek we talked about at the beginning. I'm kind of glad of the reboot because um, like I said earlier, it it makes it more accessible. We've got to a point with the Star Trek movies uh, and even to a a certain extent the the Star Trek TV series where we've become so, I think, fan-oriented that it was ridiculous. Um, It was too self-serving to Um, the overall concept, and it really kind of dug itself into a hole, I think. Um, and I do enjoy, I mean, I realize that there's fans out there who want to see more of what they were used to seeing on TV or in the movies, um, but that may come in time. Uh, With Doctor Who, we had to wait how long before we heard Gallifrey mentioned by name, um, the so way to bring an audience back into a franchise is to slowly introduce them to it uh, without bogging them down with too many details. Um, case in point, that when they announced they were doing a second movie, everybody automatically said, well, oh, it's Khan. It's going to be Khan. It could very well be. I could be completely wrong. They could be hiding it from us. But it's that automatic thought that, oh, well, you rebooted Star Trek and you started off here, so now that you have to go here, it's only logical. Oh, yep, there's a bad guy, and it's you know it's got to be him. And that's what bugs me about fandom. Sometimes is that it we can't be happy with little bits and pieces of of uh, stuff thrown into a movie to keep us satisfied. Um, we tend to focus too much on well, you know, oh well, that 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 totally ignores continuity. Um, that's why I like the fact that they went back. Like this, and kind of create this alternate timeline because you can really kind of then take bits of continuity that work and ignore the ones that didn't. You can say, well, we're just completely ignoring this bit. Um, We're saying that the you know, you know, Khan went to uh, escape from the planet and uh, and and blew up, Uh, or he he landed and died, or 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 somebody shot him when he was a kid. You know, well, when he was growing. Anyway, um, it's that kind of thing that. I'm odds with. But don't you dare try and touch Back to the Future is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I do understand the why people have problems with it. Um, my liking of it is the fact that I can sit there with my wife and watch it three times. And she's not a Star Trek fan. I mean, she has watched a lot of the TV series. But that's just been a slow process of me introducing my wife into this kind of thing, uh, science fiction and fantasy and, and um, watching, you know, uh, I think the, the show I got her in on was was Voyager, really. Um, it was on every now and, Yeah, it was on every every week, and it was like she'd sit there and watch. And but this gives the option of of getting her in on this. I'm who knows? I may actually go to the movie theater and see uh, Into Darkness with her, which would be phenomenal. That would never happen before. You know, I'd have to drag her to a, a movie. Um,
1: but yeah uh Ian yes um not wanting to do a spoiler. are you familiar with the character that Alice Eve is playing in the film? I won't say anything i just no okay. i don't I don't
2: know an awful lot about um who or what or I've just seen that one trailer and I know Benedict's in it okay. um and uh apparently there's signs on walls and or a thing on the cell and it's not the yeah. name that everybody's hoping for. So whether they're throwing people up the scent, I don't yeah. know. I, w-
1: I um, won't say because it would be spoilery.
3: Yeah, thank you, Ken. I'd rather leave it at that and yeah. enjoy
1: yeah. it. But
2: but you know really, that's my point is that, that uh, I, I, I'm not you know, disagreeing with people because of, you know, well, you're, you're fans, are stupid. No, it's like I, I completely understand because I'm like that. If anyone tried to reboot Back to the Future, I'd probably go hunt them down. Um, I don't Ian. even want uh, any more sequels. I don't want any more Back to the Future movies. You're
7: done. It's good. Lift it. Ian, I don't okay. mind that they went back <laughs> and, you know, recreated this timeline, uh, alternate version of it. It's just the feel of the movie didn't feel like, oh, this is some advanced uh, spacefaring uh, group of people going out exploring. It right. didn't have that feel to me, and that's what I missed about that Star Trek film. Right.
3: Well, it was another origin story in a sense, wasn't it? It was a very Earth-centered one. Earth was under threat, and the, and the, and the ship had just been built. I mean, I, I in some ways, I'm halfway agree with you, Jeff, because it wasn't, but I, I felt, I mean, like the chap who played Bones, the more the film went on, the more I thought it was better. You know, at first I thought, well, that's not McCoy at all, but the, there was a lot about McCoy he seemed to capture. Uh, the only I one I didn't he. like is that, yeah, the the young Russian lad I, I think they sort of parodied him a little. Par, parodied yeah. him a little, yeah, a little bit too much.
2: I, mean, I, don't, I don't hold it up as a piece of art or anything because there's stuff in there I definitely don't like. I don't like the relationship between uh, Spock and Ahura. I think that's bad. Mm. Um, I don't like that at all. Um, because to me, that's, that's, that's making him too much on the human side as opposed to the, the Vulcan side. Mm. Um, and uh,
4: let's see. Oh, I something else. Uh, Well, I don't
7: know. If you look at uh, his father, he married a uh, Right, but, but but
4: ah, good point.
2: Spock, Spock to me were always overcompensated for the fact that he was half human.
3: He was trying um, to keep it in check, wasn't he? Yeah.
2: That he that that Spock is overcompensating the other way, um, but you know, um, the other thing I didn't like,
3: i now. The uh, bit with Scott uh, Scotty and the. Uh, well, the other
2: thing that's mentioned before, there was something else in there that had
7: bugged
2: me um, that I didn't like. Um, but well,
7: yeah, I didn't yeah, like yeah, the yeah, whole yeah. premise of the of the red matter being able to create a black hole. That just didn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. And the well, the amount. Tell exactly why it doesn't make sense either. <laughs> yeah,
3: well, exactly. the amount got me. I mean, the one little bit could grow a planet up, and yet mm-hmm. when they blew the ship up and the whole container red matter the ship was still able to escape from it. Yeah. it. Kirk's ship was able to fly away from it. I mean, and, and there was like a thousand times more red matter in that giant sphere. You know, it should have imploded the whole yeah, galaxy, that amount.
4: Right.
2: Um, yeah, I think yeah, it right. up. So, I mean, you know, I, there's, there's plenty that I like. You know, Harry Potter... Um, It ranks up there, too. Um, But yeah, those are the the Transformer movies. I watch them only because uh, I like Transformers, but I don't like the movies. (laughs) But I feel obligated to at least watch them, so I've seen it. Um, And I'm hoping for the day that Michael Bay is actually held to saying that he won't do the next one. Um, To me, those (laughs) movies are just... uh, the only thing that actually links them to to, um, to real Transformers is uh, um, the voice of Optimus Prime. Yeah. Isn't,
4: isn't, it when the
3: totally right yeah. isn't it terrible when they transform
2: you?
3: Isn't it terrible when they transform your childhood children's things into programs for kids? You know? <laughs> I've grown up. I want a grown-up version of it. <laughs> and they go and do it for kids. Oh, that was mine.
2: <laughs> well, it's like uh, the whole thing where uh, I, I, mean, I wanted to see them. I mean, I know it's um, very fanboyish, and here's here's me taking you know the the, the other standpoint is that uh, you know I wanted to see a robot transform into a, a large robot um, to basically. Base folding and and, and and size shifting and become a little tape deck who wanted to see that because that's important you know uh, that's a part of the disguise you know but you know um, and I thought they were I thought they made them too realistic because my problem with the whole franchise and then of course they're just big action movies which I find very very confusing to watch because there's explosions going off everywhere you don't know which robot is wedge because nobody is Got any kind of characteristics? They're all just this massive tangled metal. You identify with Bumblebee because he's yellow, and Optimus Prime because he's got the red and blue, and he looks like Optimus Prime kind
4: of headwise. They took the I fun think, out
2: of it. Yeah, they they did. Uh, nobody came identifiable, and then we, in the second and third movies, we start putting these comic relief characters in. They had the, the those twins, the the the, the car, two cars. And it's like they were just. Ridiculous, and then I had the tiny little ones that you know,
4: uh,
2: and of course the the, you know, don't get me started on Mr. Whitwicky and his stupid girlfriend. Um, But yeah, (laughs) I think I'll be done now, so Dave can uh, have his say, and so we can all
3: go home. (laughs) Okay, yeah, welcome to Kingdom Within. We will be finishing soon. Uh, I'll just um, play. I've got three little clips I'll just play a little bit of each Um, uh, the Batman one which is the Dark Knight Rising I'll just play a little bit of that theme then I'll talk a little bit interspersed with two more major franchise clips that we didn't get to but I must admit I was very surprised when I that film in the cinema uh, uh, Tom Moore playing Bane handicapped by that mask but still played it extremely well and uh, uh, I was quite impressed um, lots of things I agree with that have been said before so great stuff congratulations to all the people who have contributed so far I think it's been great um, some things we haven't mentioned quite as so much X-Men we haven't really talked about a lot the Matrix, I don't think, really got much of a mention. Um, the Bourne trilogy got a little bit of passing. I mean, I thought the Jason Bourne movies have... In fact, I think uh, James Bond was quite a debt to Jason Bourne because they basically had to up their ante uh, because of the Bourne movies. Um, so that's something. Um, I have to mention that there's some franchises that um, maybe... Like other people have said, they should have stopped at one movie because, really, the franchise hasn't really carried on in the great way that was promised by the first film. So with The Matrix, you could say the first film was brilliant and maybe not so great afterwards. Uh, Speed, Um, the film Speed, I thought was a great film, but I didn't think Speed 2 or anything that followed was any good. I I, I even, and I've got a secret like, I actually enjoyed some of the very early Steven Seagal films. And uh, Under Siege, I thought, was great. Uh, The one that took place on the battleship. I think, actually, that was going to be um, a plot theme for a Die Hard movie. But um, the uh, Steven Seagal group got to the idea first. Uh, So, of course, it then couldn't be done on Die Hard. But uh, Under Siege 2, the Forbidden Territory or whatever it was, wasn't quite a good... But I loved Steven Seagal in those early movies when when he could still move, and the lightning fast. Um, Lots of others. Um, The, um, oh, what's the, the young karate, the karate kid series, quite like those, even like the one, with the girl karate in it. Highlander, that's another series, that had a checkered past. Loved the first Highlander, loved a couple of the others, but uh, you you can't really say, that there's a successful franchise, because of what happened with them. Um, Quite a few others, I think. Uh, we haven't really mentioned Monty Python, whether you can call those a series, because each one was obviously quite different. Sin City, is that, can you call that a franchise? Aren't they, they doing a completely new Sin City? It different, Dave. It will be. <laughs> well, oh, oh, he's, oh he's, he's so droll. <laughs> so droll. <laughs> well done, yeah. Um, Sin City, I think, is coming back. Uh, so whether that will... Class one uh then there's all those um horror ones that i don 't really like, but you know the ones that there's about thirteen of them, uh, and then this final destination, one, two, three, four, or whatever and uh, I know what you did last summer this uh all these kind of things, bridget Jones' diaries these are not necessarily of course science fiction ones in those case transporter I love the transporter movies um don 't know any guys have caught that in a sort of a uh, Jason, Jason Statham because uh, he's been in lots of uh, films uh, he's fabulous I do like karate uh, Jackie Chan's been in lots of films whether you can call those um, well the Rush Hour know.
2: movies are very good him and um, ah. um, what's his name um,
3: um, yeah, no, he,
2: yeah,
4: Chris Tucker
2: Chris Tucker yeah and then okay. there was another series that he had with uh Okay, I'm just full of names today, I tell you.
3: Full um, <laughs> day, yeah.
2: Oh, uh, fuck it! I'll interrupt you in a minute. Yeah.
3: Uh, <laughs> well, like this, the Riddick Chronicles <coughs> of Riddick, Shanghaied Noon, Thank Yeah, and he did others one though, the Jacket and all that. I don't know the, that was a different series, but things like the um, Rod, uh, Riddick Chronicles of Riddick, because he was he started out in Pitch Black, I think. That's where he came to fame with that character. Um, so there's an awful Awful lot. Um, I'm just going to very quickly, um, because I'm sure Ian will go around the room before we finish, uh, play a couple of more clips. So um, uh, I don't think I've done James Bond yet. So we've got to have a bit of that. It. I'd love to play all of that. Um, uh, love the James Bond film from Russia with Love, Casino Royale, uh, and uh, the um, the latest one, um, Quantumus. Not Quantum Solars. What's the last one called? Uh,
1: Skyfall.
3: Skyfall. Yeah, loved it. Uh, and I'm I'm going to finish uh, with uh, the ones that I'm watching the, that my daughter bought me. She bought me the Blu-ray set, and I do do absolutely. I think agree with what's been implicitly said by a few people in the room. If you do have favourite series like this, this is where something like Blu-ray really comes into its own. Uh, I noticed Jeff has already put earlier in text about some set he wants to get on Blu-ray. I think it was the Back to the Future, what he was referring to. But, I mean, really, these, uh, you know, a Blu-ray box set of a... Uh, a franchise is absolutely marvellous, and the one I'm watching at the moment is the eight movie franchise of Harry Potter. Really enjoying it, so I'm going to play a little bit of Harry Potter. Hand back to Ian, and maybe see wants to see if anybody wants to have a final word. I did put in the, um, and I'll put it in again, that page which has um, a great deal of uh, franchises to think about, and I, I and I actually say it out aloud those people listening to the recorders it's www the dash numbers.com forward slash movies forward slash franchises forward slash so people in the room take a quick look there people in text chat if they want to throw the odd name in please do so here's harry potter and then it's back to ian stop it there Ian um, Right to you all
4: oh, right um, yes
2: thank you all for joining and um, uh, I think you have to apologize profusely to Mike for not going actually going to him first but oh well maybe we can talk to him later about
3: well that. the reason was we didn't do that bit in news so I felt as though we had to go to Darv first because I, I thought we were going to bring in that uh, about the director and the, the two franchises coming together that's why I yep. went to him first
4: Okay, okay.
2: Um, <laughs> I have to mute here for a moment Dave so if you wouldn't mind taking over
3: again I will do uh, Jeff it's a long time since you've chatted so uh, rather than just a, a brief goodbye is there anything that you really wanted to come back in on?
7: No not really I, I think uh, we've covered it pretty well there
3: Okay. Was well. I correct? Which, which Blu-ray was it that you're thinking you're not going to get?
7: Oh, Back to the Future.
3: Ah, oh, it was that, thanks.
7: And, Good. and, and, and there was um, some of the Star Trek films I'd like to get on Blu-ray as well.
3: Okay, okay let's go to Kobo then. Kobo, your last a, thoughts?
6: A franchise that I didn't really cover that deserves to be covered. The Scary Movie franchise. Oh, Absol- right. Absolutely hilarious. Um...
3: Are there four
6: Shown of those? And...
3: Yep. The, for, yeah.
6: the, the first two are really the only ones worth, worth watching.
7: Right. Now, speaking Hot of the... comedies... Go oh, ahead, Jeff. Kobo. Go ahead, Jeff. Oh, uh, speaking of comedy series, um, one that comes to mind is the Naked Gun films, which I thought were just hysterical. All three of them. I'm glad you mentioned that Kobo about uh, the scary, uh, scary movies
6: Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead can you uh, count that as a franchise really
3: uh, can they? Well, they, they they've got a similar look. yeah um, uh, they have a they've got a common thing to them haven't they I mean if, if it's only the main actor but is there Um, a a third one knowing that yeah anyway go on and
6: um I have to mention Saw even though I know Ken loves it so much (laughs) um (laughs) thank you um brilliant brilliant movies and National Treasure as well that was just amazing and there was one more, but I can't think of it. And we've been going three hours, so I'll yeah.
3: Sh- yeah. I've just I've just been text Rocky. I forgot about mentioning the the Rocky movies as well, Rocky Bill uh, Okay, thank you. Let's go to Ken because I think we really do need to wrap up soon. I think Ian's back in the room, but uh, yeah. so we've gone to Jeff and Kobo. We're just going to Ken now, Ian.
1: Okay, very briefly, I want to thank Eric Stoltz for not being in Back to the Future. Um, and Michael J. Fox for bringing us joy for that Um, echo about the X-Men movies I really enjoyed all of them especially liking X-Men First Class going back to the early 60's it has the feeling of the old Lee Kirby comics and really looking forward to uh, Days of Future Past which is supposedly having cameos by Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman um, and Ian McKellen in that film, alongside with the uh, other actors playing the younger versions of themselves. And the Harry Potter films. What a work of genius in adapting those books for screen, keeping the quality up, each one maybe better than the rest, keeping the darker tones of the books and to keep the cast intact. It has one of the mm-hmm. best actors uh, in the world in those films. And it's it's like the perfect blend of art and commerce. They they uh, succeeded beautifully. Um, those are so great, so great.
3: I mean, over 10 years, apparently. God, uh, it must have been 10 years. Either. My worry
1: was that, you know, they're... They're going to get too big for their britches and want too much money or, or be recast or, you know, Mark Hamill almost, you know, uh, you know, it was in that terrible accident between Star Wars and Empire and they, they put that Wampa scene in and everything, you know, why he looked a little different, you know, dear God, it, you know, they, you know, recast Dumbledore, you know, sadly, uh. Richard Harris's passing. That
3: was the biggest hurdle they had. You know, think, but yeah. Michael
1: Gambon is such a brilliant actor. And, uh, I think maybe the endless hero of that is Alan Rickman. Oh, and I, I've got to give credit, you know, I like the Die Hard movies, but the first Die Hard, the most perfect action film maybe ever made. One of the greatest villains ever. And, It doesn't matter what part in that movie is on. I'll just stop and watch it. I I think that is just such an amazing film. And, you know, I'll I'll enjoy him making other ones, but nothing beats that first one. Nothing beats that. And And
3: I think that's everybody on audio. Nobody's put anything in text to read out, Ian. So I think you can wrap us up. Ian? Uh-oh. Maybe he had to he's again. Back. As you quite so kindly said, uh, he said he's back. Hello. And you said to oh, the future. There he is. Oh. Hello. Can you hear
7: me now? Yep. Oh, I, yep. I guess it was to the future. <laughs> <laughs> so I went to the future <laughs> briefly, so you'll
2: hear it in a couple of minutes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry for the, uh, the uh, unfortunately having to step away for a bit. Uh, uh, Callum woke up just at the very, very end of the show when I was about to start speaking. So... Um, unfortunate but uh, thank you all for joining us it was a great show um, and uh, like I said earlier in the show if you'd uh, hop on over to our Facebook page and have a look at the upcoming topics that we've got uh, out there for voting on uh, just go to Facebook and uh, look up the Colton Collective and you'll find us uh, and yeah uh, give us your next week uh, even if you can't this is really make the show you know get, you know We'd like, of course, we we want to try and get as many people on audio to talk about these things because it makes it more interesting to get different points of view. Uh, but yeah, just get along there and have a look at the, the topics we've got up uh, uh, on offer.
3: Yeah, next week, remember, we're we're going back through the Doctors being revisited. We're doing the first Doctor as played uh, portrayed by uh, uh, Bill Hartnell, and uh, we're going to reference the Az- the Aztecs. Maybe even do a review as a major part of that. Hopefully, if enough people have seen it, we will, the review of that episode will be part and parcel of our review of his time as the Doctor.
2: Now, we we realise that by the time this comes out that that, um, it'll probably be too late for you to catch it on BBC America, Um, but I'm sure that they'll probably have it on uh, on um, on Comcast for you to Mm -hmm. re-watch. And also... Like I said earlier, it's on Netflix, the Aztecs part, at least. Um, so if you do miss the special, at least try and watch the Aztecs so you can uh, join us next week. Is that good? Done? Yep. <laughs> All right. So until next week, uh, it's, <laughs> it's goodbye from Mr. Dave AC.
3: And it's a goodbye from an almost here, Ian Sixth Doctor.
6: Almost. Goodbye, everybody.
2: (laughs) And yes, I did take my meds today.
7: Waiting on a tax return?
2: Hopefully it ends up in your hands.